Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's evangelist Jonathan. There's some people, they always want to, there's a lot of Christians like this that give. They, they want to be God. So they'll only find people that are struggling that need help. They'll never give to a ministry that doesn't need their help. What do you need? What can I do for you? They want to be like elevated in that place with their giving. It is a mistake to sow to a lockdown church. And it's a mistake to sow to a place that speaks against financial increase. God, when you first get the revelation on giving, you just want to give everywhere. But then as you get a little older, you start to understand soil. And you start to notice different returns from different, and I'm not receiving an offering, that's just extra. You start to notice different returns from different places. God not only spoke to Abraham what to sacrifice, he spoke to him where to do it. If he took Isaac over to some other place, he'd have killed him for free. So the altar that you sacrifice on matters. I want to give you an example since Brother John brought it up. I was driving during the 21 days of prayer and fasting back in 2015, 16, 17 in there, to church to preach, and I popped on an evangelist and just figured out, you know, I'll, I'll listen to some preaching on my way in to focus my spirit and my thoughts. So he had already done his broadcast, this guy. It was over, so it's not like he could have seen my name pop up or anything. And I fast-forwarded it to 28 minutes and 30 seconds because I figured he'd be done with a, hello, nice to see you, so-and-so, and then just hear him preach. So this guy... On 28 minutes, I'm not, I kid you not, I fast forward it, hit play on the car, and as I'm driving, he goes, there's a young evangelist watching me right now that's believing for great financial increase for your ministry at the start of this year. I felt like going, go on. <laughs> he didn't say young preacher. He said young evangelist. I said, I thought, well, okay. He said, I'm getting ready to, to charter a tour bus and I want to hit 70 cities one last time. He's in his 70s, this guy. He said, I want to make one more run around the country. If you'll sow $1,000 to help this old preacher make one more run through the country, God will give you 100 times as much by the end of this month. Well, I wasn't looking to give $1,000. I was looking to drive to church and receive an offering for our ministry. But I thought, that's so dead on. Then secondly, I'm big on odds. So he's given me 100 to 1 odds. Worst case scenario, I'm out $1,000. But if he's right, I'm up, I'm up 100,000. If he's sort of right, I'm up 25,000. Let's say he overemphasized how much the return is going to be. So I, I texted Patrick while I'm there, while I'm thinking of this, and I said, send $1,000 to so-and-so's ministry. Now this ministry that I gave to, I don't even really care for the guy's ministry, to be honest with you. I don't, there's lots, I, I could point out like nine things I don't really care for. But he does focus on financial increase. And he says, anybody that sends an offering into our ministry, I pray over those seeds. And I know that he does. So I sent it. The last meeting of that month, January, we had a packed house like last night. And I was thinking, this is the night. He said 100,000 by the end of the night. I bet you it's going to be this night. Huge crowd. The offering wasn't anywhere near for the week, it was like 20000 So I was a little disappointed. Then we checked the mail on January 31st, and there's a check from a clearinghouse 
because rich people find these ways to give anonymously so you don't hit them up every year and invite them to a charity golf tournament or whatever. So there's these clearinghouses that can send a check where it's anonymous. So we had an anonymous check for exactly $100,000. Now, so there are guys, when people, these guys are always prophesying. There are guys who are prophets. Prophets are agents of financial increase. Elijah did it for the widow of Zarephath. Elisha did it. Remember the woman came and said, they're going to take my two sons away as slaves. I don't have any, anything. And he said, what do you have in the house? Gave her a plan from the Lord. The oil flowed. And he said, now sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons live on what's left. The whole miracle, he didn't say sell the oil and build the temple. The whole miracle God did was just to increase her and her sons and get them out of debt. So say this out loud. God cares about me. Now, I'm telling you this about soil being important. Because I told you, I don't really care for this guy. I'd never met him. He didn't know me. And I didn't really care for his ministry. I liked what he taught on finances, and that's it. I didn't like how he operated. There's a bunch of stuff I could point out that I didn't like. So $100,000 comes in, right? Which necessitates how much in tithe? Not everyone at once. If you have $100,000 come in, what's your tithe? Yeah. It's not your tithe to give. It's God. That money belongs to God, and God just simply sees whether you keep it and steal it or give it back to him as a sign that you remember where it came from. Okay, so I got 10000 that I need to unload. I don't want to give to that guy. I didn't want to give him the first 1000 But I thought, this is different than other places I've given. So I told Patrick, who also didn't care for this guy. I said, I know me and you don't care for this guy. I said, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to sow this tent again and see what happens because this guy says I have an anointing for financial increase. And I'm telling you, this is why I'm explaining it to you because most of you would have been like I was five years ago where I thought, yeah, of course you do. That's a nice thing to say to get people to give more money. But I believe if the Bible says if you give, you'll receive. God's going to multiply it no matter where I give. That's how I felt. But I, I don't know that I was right. So we give the 10000 again. And immediately, within a month, we have the best financial month we've had. So in heaven, I'd rather give it to Reinhard Bonnke. Fortunately, he's in heaven. I like a, I have found good soil for this ministry. So I had people in the body of Christ just so people in the church could have soil to sow into and say to the eye, what need I have of you? And that was actually a start of a... And then I started realizing that God has what I would call special of miracles. They're not even one of those gifts, but they, they pray for people stealing. So we kept giving to this guy that was soil. I talked to another pastor, pastor in Texas, and starts hearing all this rumbling about a guy named Kenneth Hagin. And so he goes to check him out. I spoke to him to sow a $1,000 seed to Brother Hagin, personally. So he goes up and sows it to him. He said that month, we had so much money come in, it was, he said, even, even if I was uncertain about Kenneth Hagin's ministry, there would have been no, like, like me with this other guy, there would have been no, that would make an atheist say, okay, I'll, I'll give one more time. Brother <laughs> Hagin was preaching the next month, and I flew there, which was a big deal for me, because, you know, I, I found out what hotel he was staying at, waited for him at the elevator, and had another $1,000 seed, which I have checked very soon for what, you, what, what is your current one year's income. Hundredfold return. I'm telling you that I've done that. Now, uh, anyway, I'll finish. So he said, I kept tracking Brother Hagin around and doing that. So... Let me go back to that European pastor calling me. 130 people. The church I was going to go to in America had 400 people and it was much easier to get to. So me and Adonis 
go over together. We start preaching, start with 130 people, close out with 197 on the final night in Europe. Had a bunch of Iraqis that were there on asylum get saved, that never heard the gospel. Bunch of Syrians, bunch of Nigerians came in. If you preach loud enough, Nigerians just materialized no matter where you... You'd be holding a meeting in Antarctica if you're letting it ripple. They find the anointing. So we have 197 churches comfortably full. The pastor had been telling me the whole time about how Europeans don't give and the reasons socio sociologically why they don't give. And then after Friday night, he says, would you like to hear what the offering was tonight? I said, sure. I was believing that Adolf and I would have enough come in to cover our $16,000 worth of airfare. Hotel was probably another four, three, 19. So I was, I was believing God for 20,000. And uh, he said the offering tonight was just over 1 million euros. Now, I, no, you're more trusting than me. You're all clapping. I promise you, when that guy told me that, I didn't even react because I thought, you, you're, you, you know, I didn't realize you had mental problems when I booked this meeting. There's no chance a million euro came in in a crowd of 197 people. There, so, so I made a joke. I said, do you count the offering or do you have the children's church count the offering? <laughs> and him and his wife had tears in their eyes. They said, no. They said, we'll tell you what happened. Wednesday night, do you remember that lady that ran to the altar when you gave the altar call and slid on her knees and was crying real hard? I said, I do. They said she had left her husband for another man and was living with her boyfriend and wouldn't even return her husband's text messages or phone calls. So she came up and got saved, broke up with her boyfriend over the phone on the way home and drove straight back to her husband's house who hadn't been able to get a hold of her in months and rang the doorbell. And when he opened the door, his wife was on her knees crying and said, I'm very sorry, will you please take me back? And he said, you wouldn't even return my phone calls or texts. What prompted this? She said, I went to a church and there was an American screaming and screaming and screaming. And she said, the more he screamed, the more I knew I was going to hell and I needed to make things right. So the next two nights, Thursday and Friday night, her husband came and sat in the back, not a Christian, but wanted to check out who the American was that screamed his wife back home. <laughs> so on the final night, I'm going to show you what I read. On the final night, I took about an eight minute offering. Would have been four minutes, but I had an interpreter. Malachi 1. I still remember the offering I took. Malachi 1. Verse 6. The Lord of hosts says to the priest, a son honors his father and a servant honors, uh, respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of hosts. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But why, when you give that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Very uplifting scriptures. Ask the Lord of hosts. How I wish one of you would bolt the doors of the temple shut so I would not have to look at these worthless offerings. So I just read that, and then I made the point to say, 
how even back then people had despiritualized de offerings. So what was going on back then? God said, bring the best of your cattle, the best of your sheep, the best of everything you produce. Well, what ended up happening? Same thing that would happen now. You're bringing it up, the priest's assistant slitting its throat, putting it up on the altar and dicing it up. So you say, listen, there's no need to bring the best one. They're going to walk it up there. They're going to cut its neck. What difference does it make? No one knows the difference. But, and you're right. No one knows the difference. Remember when Jesus pulled, pulled that woman out and said, hey, the Bible says Jesus stood up. Think of this. Jesus stood up by the offering and looked at what everybody was putting in. That would be a quick way to have your board of directors fire you as pastor in Canada. Go, we're putting one bucket and Pastor Steve's going to stand here. Hey, unfold that check. Seriously? Give me that envelope. Huh. Jesus looked at what everyone was putting in the offering. And then a woman puts in two mites, which how anybody takes this story to mean, how many of you know even if you give two pennies? No. Jesus singles out her offering and says, this woman has given more than all of you. Why? Because it was two pennies? No. Because you have given a little of your excess, but she has given everything she has. So Malachi 1, the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Ghost with Peter, with Ananias and Sapphira, God notices offerings. And the act of giving offering is not what brings blessing. Because Cain's offering, he brought an offering, was it accepted or rejected? Well, am I losing you? I'm not taking an offering. You can relax. You can loosen yourselves. I'm teaching you a principle that matters. Was Cain's offering accepted or rejected? Did God, from what he said in Malachi 1, accept these offerings or reject them? He not only rejected them, he said, I wish somebody would lock the doors to the church so I wouldn't have to look at this garbage you're putting on my altar. That's what he said in a more Brooklyn way. And then what about Ananias and Sapphira? Did they get struck dead because they refused to give? No. They brought an offering. Is this everyone selling land and property and laying it at the apostles' feet? And they come marching up with everything. Is that the full value of the land and home, Peter said? Oh, yes. Why have you done such an evil thing? For you've not lied to me. You have lied to the Holy Ghost. And men are now coming to carry you out. And he dropped dead. So then the wife comes in. How many hours later was it? Three? How many does it say in the Bible? Three to five hours. So they had long services. Sapphira comes in. No one texted her. Hey, the offering your husband brought, was that the full amount? Uh, yeah, it was. Why have you and your husband conspired to do such an evil thing and lie against the Holy Ghost? The same men that just carried your husband out are coming to carry you out. That was Book of Acts Church. If you showed up late, they could be carrying out a dead body. Oh, what happened? Uh, he died. How? The pastor killed him. That's why the Bible says everybody, everybody held them in, in great respect and people feared to come in there if they weren't right with God. Can you say amen? So getting back to the offering thing, it shows you that God doesn't just receive every offering. So I told that crowd in Finland, I said, 
a business owner should not give at the same level that a single mother does. I said, you should give an offering of honor based on the economic level God has taken you to. I said, all I want you to do today in eight minutes is give an offering of honor to the Lord on planet earth. I didn't know he, I, I want to know him if I saw him now. I've, I've been meaning to Google what he looks like for seven years in heaven. And he's sitting in the back. He never came up to give his life to the Lord, but he wrote out a Cheng's out that the canceling of the Massachusetts meeting was the Lord. And then the redirection to Finland was the Lord. And that God doesn't need a big church to bless you. God only needs one person. Groups don't give the blessing. Individuals. Jesus pointed out the woman with the alabaster box. Jesus pointed out the widow with the two mites. In every... But it's not the end. I'm still going to do questions and answers with you too. I'm telling you, in every offering that I've given, I've tried to give something to separate myself out. When you give $40, that doesn't seem like a lot. And I actually hate... Every time I tell this story, someone will come up and give me like $1,000 or $500 and say, listen, I know this isn't much because left. It's you giving or consuming massive amounts with your money. Give out like an elephant. They say elephants, I can't remember how many hundred pounds of manure they produce a day for, for hay and stuff. They eat a lot, but they give out a lot. There's no problem with you being blessed. There's no problem with you having a brand new kitchen and a brand new house. It pleases God. But as he ups your level, remember the Lord your God, for it is him that gives you power to create wealth. And as he's changed your level, you start giving more, which ups your level more, and you give more, and it pleases God. As you give God-pleasing offerings these next 11 months, God's revenue stream will find its way to your home and business and ministry in Jesus' mighty name. If you receive that, go ahead and clap your hands unto the Lord. Somebody say the blessing of the Lord is accessed by faith. And faith is an action. I remember I used to never take vacations because all the, minister, all the old school ministers I knew would always like take shots at anybody that took a vacation. And then I felt to take Adonis on a vacation. Adonis hit a rough patch in her health, almost died. And I wanted to take her out to the desert for 20 days and let her recover. That's where Jesus would go to rest. So how am I going to do that? Because in the natural, the way you get money is you go preach at churches and people give you offerings. But I'm, I'm trying to get your, your spirit to understand something. That God does not need man's ways or traditional ways to supply his children. Was Elijah fed in the desert because he was preaching revivals? No, he was fed during the famine because he went to where the Lord told him to go. And he said, sit by Kareth Brook, drink the water from the brook, and eat what the ravens bring you. For I have commanded them to bring you food. So he did as the Lord said. And ravens brought him bread and meat twice a day. And he ate. No problem. Say this out loud. God has a place for me. So in the natural, when the Lord spoke to me, you need to take your wife out and let her recover and spend time with her and, and, and minister to her. It's also an investment in your marriage. I actually would have been out of the will of God preaching. No, no, souls need saved. Jesus is coming soon. No. You get instruction from the Lord because God has seasons of work, and God has times for you to rest. Even Jesus came apart and rested. My cousin Teddy told this story. 
he was keeping a massive travel schedule. And he told me after, he said, I was at the point of exhaustion down in Brazil. And the Lord spoke to me when I was praying. Do you think you're my only worker? So there's some people, you know, you can actually get into pride, especially as an evangelist. I preach 50 weeks a year, bless God. I'm out on the road every, every, every week except Thanksgiving and Christmas. We hold 50 weeks of revivals all over the world with, with packed churches, preach twice a day. One guy was talking like that at a minister's conference and my grandfather, the year before he died, he was 81. He was super sarcastic and he couldn't stand people that talked like that. He was a pastor for 60 years. So this guy's going on and on. We hold meetings all over the world. We hold large crusades. And, and the guy gets like two paragraphs in. My grandfather went, I'm sure Jesus is thrilled to have you in his life. <laughs> and really, that's how the guy's talking. You're not boasting on what the Lord's done. It's, you know, Jesus actually should be very happy that Jonathan's alive holding these meetings. You sound like a jerk. So you actually can get into a pride uh, either way. So when the Lord told me to go take Adalis out to chill, I did what I said. Now, I have in the back of my mind, how in the world is the ministry going to stay functional? Because I'm doing nothing. There's no way, there's no offerings being taken. He didn't say go out to the desert and do a live stream every morning, you know, and find a way to, no. You go out and rest. Did you know those three weeks that year that I did that were the three top financial weeks in our ministry? I had no newsletter. I did no live streams. One week, I think 200 and some thousand, this was years ago when our budget was much smaller, 200, like a quarter million came in one week. You know, someone said, I just felt to send you this for my business, 75,000. And I started to realize that it's not up to me to work it. Our ministry needs $12 million to break even this year. I need to start going to bigger churches. Some of the worst meetings you can have as an evangelist are at bigger churches. When I was, when I was a young minister, I couldn't wait for big churches to have me in to preach. I thought that was the mark of success. And then once I preached at a few, I almost won't come to any of them unless I check them out. And they, they're not used to that. One guy was inviting me, I won't say what country, but I turned it down. And then he invited me again, and I turned it down. Real nice, you know, real nice thank you letter and all that. And he called me, he said, don't you realize that I, we pay $10,000 a night? Well, number one, I'm not a prostitute. You actually made me never want to come once you said that. Come for $10,000. I'm not Wayne Newton. And you need to guarantee me a minimum amount of money before I go to the stage. I'm not a Christian recording artist. But until I have a cashier's check delivered to my tour bus, I won't come out and sing. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me ask you, think of this. What if I did things the other way? What if when I went to Finland, I said, now listen, my airfare and hotel is going to be 20000 so I need you to guarantee me uh, 30000 to come out there. And the pastor agreed. And the offering was $1.1 million. I would have lost a lot of money. If you let God set your bar, God will always set your bar higher than you would set your own bar. Can you say amen? Remember me telling you this last week when Adalis went out to look at houses, what Adalis, what Camila told her when they finished looking at the house? Don't get this house, mom. Why not? Because if you get this one, it's like it's you doing it. But if you let God do it, he's going to give us a much better house. That's a fact. The house that the Lord gave my father, gave it to him. A lady called him up and said, the Lord spoke to me during my devotions today to give you my home for what I have left on it, which I think she had like $70,000 left on it. 
That house is about 5,000 square feet. It's a five bedroom, four bathroom house on seven acres of property. There's no other place in that city that even has an acre. And he has seven acres. My dad loves white-tailed deer. There's a breakfast room with white-tailed deer that, that come every, every day when he eats. It's like the Lord made it for him. You know, the Bible says you'll inhabit homes that you did not build. I used to quote that all the time. We ended up inhabiting a church that we didn't build. It, it was built perfectly for us. Can you say amen? amen? So my dad would have never looked at that home in a million years. He wouldn't have turned to it in a real estate book. That would have been, well, no, that, you know, that, that's for like millionaires. And God gave him the house that he couldn't have got if he worked and tried and found a way to finagle housing allowance through the IRS system for ministers. He would have never been able to sniff that house when he was 40 years old. And the Lord, as he put the kingdom first, God set his bar higher than he would set his own bar. I'm telling you this next 11 months, I keep saying 11 months because I told you, October 2022 to October 2023 is not only a new day for Canada, the tide is turning, God is going to begin to bless his people, and you're going to see God set the bar higher for you than you would have ever had the faith to set it yourself if you'll just be open to receive it. Can you say amen? So turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. I had, another, I had another large church call me from Australia. We'd love for you to come down here and preach. We don't do week-long meetings. We just do one Sunday. Okay. So you want me to fly 28 hours. And so when he said that, I said, why do I get the feeling? Because I, I can feel. You know how like the head of a biker gang can tell somebody's an undercover cop? He's got all the right tattoos. Something doesn't feel right. I said to him, why do I get the feeling when I fly there 26 hours and you introduce me and I walk up on stage and we hug and I take the mic from you that I'm going to turn and face the crowd and there's going to be a clock counting down from 38 minutes. And he laughed and went, 32 minutes. Count me out. I can't even say hello in 32 minutes. I've been preaching the same eight-point message on faith since Monday morning. <laughs> we never made it to point two. Yeah, I'm not a conference speaker. I'm not a 32-minute wind-me-up-and-do-my-tap-dance routine. I do revivals. Can you say amen? amen? Second Kings 7. You know, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have a meeting like this in a megachurch. Now, the new megachurches that God will raise up in Canada, they, they'll have meetings like we had last night. But the, the ones that are up now, they, they know, every, you know, we do this, and then we have it 32 minutes, and then if you could get it right back to me, and then we don't, we don't take offerings um, because some of our board doesn't like that, so we have a set honorarium for you, but it's a very generous honorarium, and then our buses leave promptly at 8.30 uh, to help get the kids back to the thing. It's all, it's all, the Holy Ghost couldn't move if he wanted to, and they wouldn't know the Holy Ghost if he walked in with a red hat on. It's all systems. It's amazing how people will use the Holy Ghost to build something, and then as soon as they get it built big, they say, okay, uh, please leave now. We've used you for what we need you for. Don't ever come back. Start in the Holy Ghost. Stay in the Holy Ghost. Finish in the Holy Ghost. You'll do that in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. 
But Elisha replied, you'll see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. In the natural, there was no chance I could have bought that building that we have as our office building now. God is not limited to what you have. He's limited by what he has, which makes him unlimited. Because he owns all the silver and he owns all the gold and he can create more of anything he wants. So in the natural, we couldn't have looked at that office building. That's why I almost missed getting it. Because the dollars felt in their spirit to get it. And I immediately went to the natural. We're building a building. We don't have that in the budget. I'm not going to do that. Then when she waited and pressed me a second time after I had had ice cream and was in a good mood. Jonathan, just let me go over and, and let's see what happens. And I said, okay. And she went, yes, called Magalis the second I said it at the dinner table. He's, he gave the go-ahead, let's go. And she went and did what was in her spirit to do, and the whole thing, in 90 days, we were in a brand new church that's valued at $7 million without having to pay $1. God's not limited by what you have. He's limited by your faith. We could never, we could never live in that part of Montreal. That's where all the rich people live. What, is, what are you? The blessing of the Lord makes a man. You don't wait till you're rich to start calling yourself rich. You call, you call yourself what the Bible says you are. I'm going to tell you. You should see yourself on the inside. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about going around telling everybody you're rich like I do. You end up getting audited. I'm saying on the inside of you, you should feel that how would you feel if... Um, I'm trying to think of a rich person that everyone doesn't hate. I was going to say Bill Gates, but nobody would want to work for him. If some multi-billionaire multi told you, I'm going to make you my personal assistant, and your salary is going to be live where you want, eat where you want, and just send me the receipt. How would you carry yourself around Montreal? Yeah, your shoulders back. Look at how like uh, the royal family acts when they come to New York. Uh, let's go to this jewelry store. It's one in the morning. Tell them to open it up. Tell them it, uh, it's Prince Harry and I want to take my wife into my jewelry. Do they open the store for them or do they, sh do they not? Oh, they open it. One in the morning, two in the morning, and they don't say, now just so you know, we're, we're, we're going to open it in, for one hour and if you could just, no, whatever you want. And then, and then when he walks away from them, they start muttering curse words under their breath, but not in front of him. Now, I've told this story. Everybody say, I'm the child of a king. You should carry yourself that way. When, I, when I've been called to a little church to go preach, let's say they have 28 people and it's like a dumpy church, they don't take care of it. And then there's 28 people on Sunday and the crowd drops to 22 Sunday night. I'm going to be there through Friday. Monday it's even smaller, 17 people. In your flesh you feel like putting on an old pair of dad jeans. No one in the church is dressed nice. The pastor doesn't dress nice. Do you know I'll actually go in the opposite direction? If I wasn't wearing a tie, I'll start wearing a tie. I'll go, okay, if the devil's trying to get me depressed, I'm going to start preaching this meeting like um, uh, uh, um, Benny Hinn, Oral Roberts, the prophet Elijah, and Jesus wrapped into one. I'm going to show up here dressed to the nines. When the, um, you can just be casual here. Yeah, I can see that you're, that you're casual. Everything's unexcellent. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going to carry myself. Like I'm someone that God put on this planet to be an ambassador from heaven, to call people out of darkness into light and to advance the gospel. Some of you saw me preach in 2013, 2012, 2007. I didn't, I didn't carry myself. You'd have never known I had no money. 
I carried myself a certain way because my identity was not in my bank account. My identity was in what God said, I, who God said I was. You should walk a certain way. You should have your shoulders back. You should talk to your children a certain way. You see all this stuff that God's given mommy and daddy? He's going to give you even more because the blessing will increase. Say, Wait till you're our agent paying the bill. Nobody ever shuts any lights off in here. Yeah, the secret to, to wealth, shutting lights off. You know, I used to be very poor, and then I got diligent about shutting lights off, and now we're millionaires. No, you're just depressing your, your family. Turn the heat down. No, you should have something in you. I'm somebody. I, I was low. I was in sin. But that's not me anymore. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I've been bought with a price. Christ lives in me. I have, I have the kingly anointing that's on my life to subdue nations, to take over land, to build beautiful buildings for the kingdom of God. That's on me. Can you say amen? I was preaching in Indiana and um, I hadn't hit the breakthrough in the meeting, so I was fasting. And on the second day of the meeting, this lady that was basically paralyzed, she was all crippled up. She had a big walker and could barely even move with the walker. And she was, it wasn't old. And the power got hit her body. She fell out under the power. You could hear her bones pop and snap on the ground. And then in a few minutes, she got up off the ground, picked her walker up over her head and ran full speed around the building. The place went ballistic. And so since I hit my breakthrough in that meeting, I could tell you can, like here, we hit it Wednesday night when the meeting breaks. Um, I could feel we, we hit it, so I was going to eat because that's what I was fasting for, and I got it. So there, I, I'm in rural Indiana. There was one steakhouse that was a decent steak, a good steakhouse as far as the reviews. I hadn't eaten because I hadn't eaten since I got to town. And um, as soon as she started running, my first thought was, I'm going to eat a steak tonight. Tonight's the night to have a celebratory meal. There's a time to fast and there's a time to feast. That's why I don't, you're not, you don't hear me say, I, well, I don't, I live a fasted life. That's not even scriptural. The same God that instituted fasting instituted feasting. There's times to celebrate. And you're going to have lots of opportunities to celebrate this year in Jesus' mighty name. That's a fact. Somebody shout hallelujah. Man, you can feel faith in this room. So I, I go to, everybody say, God, God will set the bar higher than I would set it. I told you that vacation story to tell you. God's covenant isn't with your ministry. God's covenant's with you. God's not looking to use you. Listen, none of this goes to you. Have people get money to advance my thing. God will bless you. God loves you. God doesn't want me feeding 1,500 children a day and then Camila, I don't care about her. I care about, I care about third world people only. Do you know God cares as much what I have for lunch today as he does all the people we're feeding in the third world? He doesn't love me less than them. Just because I have a nice blouse. It's a joke, that's women's clothing. <laughs> so I go to this restaurant, right? And I get there like at 10.01. And it says open, but I hit the thing and it's locked. Closed at 10. If the restaurant closes at 10, you can't even order past 9.30. And now I'm confined. At this point, you know, the kind of town I'm in, it's like, well, I might as well just fast another day. I'm not going to break a two-day fast with Wendy's or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'd like to live. 
So I'm like, shoot, man. I was, I, I was already dreaming about that steak. I'm telling you, when that lady was running around with her walker and everyone, praise the Lord, I was thinking, I'm going to eat tonight. <laughs> so I hit the door and I think, shoot, I was looking forward to having like a sit down, like actual cooked food, which is not easy to get in America. Most American food is made of plastics. So I go to go back to my car feeling dejected and the door opens behind me and the guy that I found out later is the manager goes, were you jiggling the door because you wanted to come in here and eat? I said, I was, but I saw you're closed. He went, he said, uh, if you want to eat, eat, eat a meal, I'll, I'll turn everything back on and make you a meal for you. So Adalis was still sitting in the car because she was telling me, you know, it's closed. I said, is it okay if my wife comes? Because I was so committed to this steak, if he'd have said no, just you, I'd have been like, listen, Adonis, I'll be out of here in about 90 minutes. I'll have you a styrofoam container. But I, if this costs me my marriage, I'm eating tonight. He said, oh, yeah, she can come. So Adonis comes in with me. And uh, I sit down at the booth, and he doesn't give us any menus. And he comes over with one of every appetizer on the menu and puts it on the table. It's just me and Adonis. There's like seven plates of food. And I ate. And then he said, how do you like your steaks cooked? I said, medium rare, and Adonis said, medium. She doesn't like it medium. She likes it well done, but I told her, I won't marry you unless you go to at least medium. I, I can't trust somebody that does medium well. You're a spy or something. Something's wrong with you. I can't, I can't be married to somebody that cooks meat like my grandma on my dad's side does, boils it till it, has, it tastes like a hockey puck. <laughs> hey, Nana, great job boiling the steak. <laughs> what are we in the 1600s? <laughs> Who boils meat? Anyway, Nana, if you're watching, steak's so. Medium rare, medium. He comes with all the cuts of meat on the menu sliced for me and all for her, just put portions of all the steaks. And then finish eating that, and he comes, you know they have that like dessert sampler platter that they make that it's like plastic, but it, he brought it and it was like real. So he brought one of every dessert and laid it on the table. I've never met this guy. I didn't say I'm a preacher. Or, <laughs> that doesn't open doors for you in America, that closes doors. <laughs> And then he brings all the desserts. Well, I don't know what this guy's gonna charge me for opening the thing. Who does that? They had to turn everything back on? The cook stayed? I, I'm thinking this, this is like my, <laughs> I'm getting more, like I can understand God's power making a crippled lady walk, but this one's, I'm having trouble <laughs> wrapping my mind around because you get chefs, you tell a chef to turn the stuff back on, they curse all the time when things are going good. <laughs> hey, now everybody was about to go home. Come back in. We're going to cook this strange guy that's in a suit with a sweaty shirt. When you finish preaching, people in the world don't know what to make of you. Because you're in a nice suit with a loosened tie covered in sweat. It's like, are you on a business trip and you tried crystal meth for the first time? Why are you sweaty? Turn the air conditioning on in your office next time, genius. You look like a detective trying to crack a case in Dubai. So 
I, I don't know what this guy's going to charge me, but I had some money. And I thought, whatever. So I take my American Express card and just fly it at the end of the table so he can go run my card and everybody can get out of there. He comes by and says, was everything to your satisfaction? I said, yeah. I said, this was awesome. Thank you for doing this. I didn't have to go to Taco Bell. Or, and I like Taco Bell, but, uh, you know, this was very nice. Thank you. And I, I slid my card over to him. He took the card and slid it back. I said, you don't take American Express? He said, no. I said, it's on the house. I said, now, when I was broke and someone did, a, when God would do miracles like this, I never asked why. If they said it's on the house, I, thank you. <laughs> but I had enough money and I wanted to know the answer. So I said, can I ask why? And he went, I don't know. When I saw you in the parking lot, I just felt like doing this for you. Now, you put, up, put Psalm 512 up on the, on the screen. Psalm 512 in the Amplified Classic. One of the things that you access by faith is favor. And God's favor is, how did we get that building turned over to you? If you talk to the owner, favor. Favor will give you what money can't give you. If I was worth $10 million, that restaurant was closed. If I was worth $100 million, that restaurant's closed. Favor will take you where money can't take you. Favor will give you what money can't buy. For you, O oh Lord, will bless the uncompromisingly. That, that's a synonym for don't shut the church down. Don't bow to pressure. Don't bow to demonic pushing to try to make you a Christian that fits culture. God will bless the uncompromisingly righteous in the name of Jesus for the rest of your life. You will be known among the class of the uncompromisingly righteous. Oh, King, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. For our God is able to deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, oh, King, we will never bow to your God. You know, you know, when you're a kid, you don't read the Bible the same as when you're an adult. Like you, see, you, see, you see Gideon tear down all the statues to Baal. You think, oh, that's cool. But then you get older and you think, do you think they didn't have permits to have that up? You're going on private property, destroying property. And the next day after Gideon tore all those Baal idols down, they, the whole village was irritated. But I guess Gideon had some look in his eye. They're like, okay, we don't like that you did that, but you look nuts, so we're going to stay over here. He had no permission to do that. All these people, you know, as if the Bible only has Romans 13 in it. The whole Bible stories of people that were told by the government to compromise their faith and would not compromise it. Daniel was not ordered to never pray again. Daniel was ordered not to pray for 90 days. He said, no, thank you. I, I like doing it three times a day and I like doing it outside where people can see me. And he kept going. Was he eaten or not eaten? When they threw him in the lion's den, did they eat him or not eat him? Because God, put it back up, Psalm 512. For you, O Lord, will bless the uncompromisingly righteous, him who is upright and in right standing with you, as with a shield, and will surround him with goodwill, pleasure, and favor. Let me see it in the King James. A little simplified. For thou, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor, and will compass him round about with a shield. Favor, say favor like a shield. 
I don't know. When I saw you in the parking lot, I just felt like opening the restaurant up and cooking for you. You're not going to hear unsaved people say, brother, there's a tremendous favor on your life. What you'll hear them say is, I don't know why we're doing this. We don't normally do this for people. I don't know why, but I just feel to help you, that kind of thing. And that's going to be your story. Where things you're not qualified for, there's a hundred other people applying for the thing with better credentials, and for some reason, the guy just likes you. I was teaching on this, that one church I mentioned a few days ago. This has been a great week of meetings. As happy as I am, as happy as I am that I'm going to get to see my wife and daughter in the morning, I'm really going to miss you. You're great people. God's hands on your life. I can see now why the devil works so hard to shut you down. Because there's enough firepower in this room to give the devil the worst 10 year period in Canadian history he's ever known. And I see you doing it in Jesus name. You're great. Who stays out till 1130 at a revival meeting and comes back at 10 in the morning on Saturday? Hungry people. Next person I hear talk to me negatively about Canadian Christians. They're very cold up there. You're just going to see a red handprint. And then when you see them, they say, do you know Jonathan? How'd you know? Canadians are very cold. Don't talk about my friends. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sorry for the violent humor. I know it doesn't go over that well enough. Favor. Second Kings 7. That couldn't happen, even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Bad move. What's the difference between faith and unbelief? Hey, Mary, the Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you, and you'll become fruitful, and you'll give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus, for he'll save the people from their sins. Okay. Just one question. I paid attention long enough in health class to know how babies work. I've never known a man. How's that going to happen? That was a question. That wasn't unbelief. It was just, do you need me to marry Joseph and get pregnant right now? Do you need me to, is there someone that I'm supposed, that's supposed to get me pregnant to have Jesus? So no, he just explained it to him. That's why there was no rebuke. He said, okay, you gave me part of how this is going to work. What's the, what am I supposed to do? Because I'm not married and I'm a virgin. Oh, don't worry about it. The Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you. You'll become fruitful. Then you have John. John the Baptist's uh, uh, father. No, not John. What was John the Baptist's father's name? Zechariah. Uh, tomorrow morning, you'll have a proper preacher in the pulpit who would have known the answer to that question. But, but this morning, you have a bloused American. So Zechariah is in the temple. His wife's barren. And he's the one praying that his wife can have a baby. So Mary wasn't praying to have a baby. This is all out of left field. Zechariah, oh God, I know you're able to make my wife have a baby. People pray for stuff that they don't actually believe would happen. So an angel comes. Hey, know how you've been asking for your wife to have a baby? I'm gonna, I'm, uh, she's going to have a son. You're going to name John the Baptist. Don't ever cut his hair. And don't uh, let strong drink touch his lips. He'll be a Nazarite, and he'll be a mighty prophet. Oh, my wife's an old lady, and she, she's not able to have a child. And that angel said, I'm Gabriel. 
I'm not like Joe the angel. I'm one of the three main guys. Do you know who you're talking to? Your wife will have the child, but you're not, I'm going to shut your mouth because if I don't, you're going to ruin the whole thing with your stupid mouth. And Zechariah was mute until the baby was born. Think of that. That God had to close his mouth or the power of death. That couldn't happen. My wife's an old lady. He'd have, he'd have ruined the pregnancy. Talking, talking, he was talking. He was the one praying. Two people get the exact same news supernaturally. He's not, it's not a guy. It's not a, it's not a 23-year-old youth leader that came and said, hey, Lord spoke to me that your, your wife's going to have a baby. Go, Whatever. An angel in the temple tells him, and he can't receive it. If you don't have faith, it wouldn't matter if Jesus appeared to you and told you something. You wouldn't receive it. If they don't listen to the law and the prophets, they won't listen even if one rises from the dead. It's your faith. Then on the flip side, when you do develop your faith, you actually don't need an angel. You'll start to hear the inward witness of the Holy Ghost telling you this is the way. Walk you there. That's your building. That's your house. That's the school to send your child to. I want to put my child in private school. I don't want them going to a public school, but I can't afford it. Apply at this school. I've already ordered the thing to work out on your behalf. The Lord will start hooking up with you. You'll become partners with God. He'll show you where to go. He'll order your footsteps. He'll mark out a straight path for your feet. It won't be you grasping at straws, trying to make things happen. I tell you, these next 11 months, you shall see the good hand of God in every area of your life. Personal, business, ministry, family, in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Verse 3, 2 Kings 7, 3. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We'll starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live so much, the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, by the way, enjoy the 72-degree weather in Montreal in November. Tell you what, I'm starting to like this global warming. You want to raise our taxes to stop this? This is awesome. There's people in New Brunswick right now running around in Speedos and a spaghetti string tank top. Probably could have left that part out. We'll starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Ar Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us. They cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver, gold, clothing, and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this isn't right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. 
If we wait until morning, some calamity will fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. Hallelujah. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Not so much here or here, but right in this vicinity. Gonna have the best year you've ever had. Praise God. I see revival in the Cree nation. I see hundreds of young people dancing in the Holy Ghost. Verse 12, 2 Kings 7, 12. The king got out of bed in the middle of the night and told his officers, I know what's happened. The Arameans know we're starving, so they've left their camp and have hidden it in the fields. They're expecting us to leave the city, and they'll take us alive and capture the city. You know, when you don't have faith to receive a word, you can't even receive it when it's happening. I don't believe it. I've had people get healed in our meetings. They bring someone to get healed that's deaf. Their deaf ear comes open. The person that brought them, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Well, obviously, it wasn't your faith that made it happen. So I don't believe it. Learn to say the right thing, even if it astounds you. Learn to just say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Learn to do what Ezekiel did. Ezekiel, can these dry bones live again? Thou knowest. I'm not going to say no, but I'm not agreeing to anything either. You know. Anytime you get a word that seems impossible, and I get them. We took in a record revenue last year in our ministry, $7.1 million. Jerry Savelle prophesies you're going to have a double this year. I thought, double? I'd be happy to repeat it or only slightly regress. And double, there it is. But I had enough sense not to go, oh, come on. Let's be, let's be reasonable. God's very unreasonable. Let's create the whole world in six days. You can't even get a building permit in three months. God created the whole world in six days. When Bishop Oyedepo built that 50,000-seat church, the Lord told him in September, you'll dedicate the building by September of, of this next year. And they did it. They finished two weeks early. There was one time they had one of the big pieces of equipment underneath the uh, sanctuary and they put the roof on and the doorways and there was no way to get that piece of equipment out. So they're either gonna have to take the roof off or file down the cement a few inches which would weaken the structure of the building. And either option was going to take months and cost tens of millions of dollars. And Bishop Oedepo walked in after praying one morning. They said, how much uh, room is it? They said, four inches, it won't clear. How big are these tires? 30-some inches. Hmm. Let's let the air out of the tires. And they all went, oh. And he said, instead of $20 million, it cost $1.50 to reinflate the tires after we brought it out. Say this out loud. God always has the way forward. There's never no way forward. Even if there is no way forward, God will create a way forward. He'll create a highway through the middle of the Red Sea just for you.
Amen? One of the, uh, we better send out scouts to check this. Let them take five of the remaining horses. If something happens to them, it'll be no worse than if they stay here and die with the rest of us. What a positive guy. So two chariots with horses were prepared, and the king sent scouts to see what had happened to the Aramean army. They went all the way to the Jordan River, following a trail of clothing and equipment that the Arameans had thrown away in their mad rush to escape. The scouts returned and told the king about it. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true that six quarts of choice flour were sold, were sold that day for a piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver, just as the Lord had promised. The king appointed the officer to control the traffic at the gate, but he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to the house. The man of God had said to the king, by this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost one piece of silver. The king's officer had replied, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And the man, notice how the Bible makes a point to show you that the word of God came to pass and that this knucklehead, what happened to him? And the man of God had said, you'll see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. And so it was, for the people trampled him to death at the gate. Say this out loud. Unbelief, Unbelief. Has, a has a cost. Faith, Faith. Brings, a brings a reward. The world tells you the opposite. The world makes you feel like you're taking a risk if you trust God and trust his word. Supposedly, the risk was to keep your church open during COVID. But every church that kept their open, according to the word of God, is up in attendance with their money up, more people, more things going on, building a new sanctuary. And the churches that did the opposite are down people, selling off property, laying off staff. The risk is in not trusting God. And I'm saying this because I hear a lot of faith, not the good guys, but the new generation of faith teachers, uh, it's risky, you know, trusting God, but he always comes through in the final minute. What are you talking about? There's no risk in trusting God. We don't have uh, nationalized health care in the United States like you have in Canada yet. I mean, they're pushing for it. But I couldn't afford health insurance. I haven't had health insurance. My, I don't, it, it, it's not, I'm not telling you not to have it. I'm just telling you, for me to take time to fill out paperwork to what if I get sick? And you got to think about your family. If you, no, with long, I'm not getting sick. I'm not. I made up my mind about it. I saw in the Bible, it's part of my covenant rights. And it's not happening. So. It, it, I just can't get interested in it. I didn't get vaccinated. And I know all the stuff about the, that's negative about the vaccine. That wasn't my main motivation. My, my main motivation is the same reason I haven't got any of the other shots. I'm not even an anti-vaxxer. I'm also not pro-vax. I play video games and I preach. Those are my two things. But you know why I haven't got... The last time I had to go for... A, actually, the last time I went to a doctor for me was in Montreal because I was leaving straight from Montreal to go to Congo to preach, and I had to opt out of the yellow fever shot. And so Pastor Steve took me there, and the lady said, When's your, when was your last vaccination? I said, when I was 17, uh, my parents took me to an appointment to do the physical to play ice hockey. I said, no, that was my, the last time I saw a doctor, and that wasn't my choice. That was to get cleared to play high school hockey. And we used play loosely. That was for me to get knocked around the ice by big, strong people. Looked like a traffic accident. I had to go, like, go collect my gloves and my stick from doing Excuse me, I'm sorry. 
That was the last time at 17 that I've ever been to a doctor. I'm pretty sure I had severe pneumonia at one point, but I didn't have health insurance. And when I looked how much it was going to cost to go to the hospital, I finished preaching a three-week meeting, and it was in March. And in March in Pennsylvania, the weather can be like, like, like this. Like it will be like 72 one day, like it's going to be here, and then wait a couple of days, and it's like zero. So it was doing that during the meeting, and I was too dumb to wear a jacket because it, it was only supposed to be a one-week meeting. It was 70 all that week, but then the meeting got extended two weeks, and I didn't have any winter clothes, and back then I didn't have money to go buy clothes or anything. So, so I didn't have a jacket. I should have got one. So I finished. My lungs are all locked up, and I, I, I'm feeling worse than I've ever felt. So then I looked to see how much is it going to cost me if I go to the hospital and get treated. It's a, a lot. So when I saw how much I was going to have to pay to go to the hospital, and then they, even with pneumonia, it's not like they like give you a pill and then the pneumonia goes away. They basically have you just sit there and rest, usually next to another guy who's coughing all night and stinks. So I thought, well, if it's going to cost five grand or seven grand, let I have a different idea. Instead of laying next to some ugly guy in a stinky hospital room, I'll fly to Puerto Rico and lay on the beach for a week. And I did. And those pina coladas, virgin. In that hot sun, I got better. That's the closest I ever came to having to go to the hospital myself. Probably should have gone then, but the beach did me just fine. And uh, the Lord healed me, obviously. So I'm saying this not be, I'm not saying this like many times I've been sick and should have gone to the hospital, but I called on Jesus with blood dripping from the corners of my mouth. I'm telling you, there's not only divine healing, there's divine health. I will take sickness and disease out of your midst. Put Exodus 23, 25 up in the King James. Exodus 23, 25. You have faith for finances. You can have faith for favor. You can have faith for divine health. And ye shall serve the Lord your God. Everybody say, I do. And he shall bless thy bread and thy water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Not I'll heal you when you get sick. I won't allow sickness to operate where you're at. Well, is that true? Why did they lay the sick in the streets that perchance Peter's shadow might fall across them and they'd be healed? That you actually can carry an overflow of health that where you go, people around you get better. I've been, you know, amens are weak. I'm telling you, there is a thing called divine health. Moses was 120 years old and his eyes were not dim and his strength was in no way abated. Abraham, after his wife died, he remarried another lady named Keturah and had six more kids at 140. That's not somebody that's old and feeble. That's somebody that's a strong old man. He led people out to battle. He couldn't stay back and snipe people. It was hand-to-hand -hand combat. Abraham was beating people to death in his 80s. Do you know how embarrassing that would be? <laughs> hey, what's wrong? How'd you break your jaw? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> how old was that guy that broke your jaw, Larry? Uh, I don't know. I think it was maybe like 50 or something. No, we looked it up on Wikipedia. 85. You got beaten by an octogenarian. Abraham led men out to battle. I'm not making jokes. I'm trying to show you something. Somebody say divine health, divine health. is my birthright. 
as a child of God. There are people in this room and people watching online. The last sickness you saw will be the last sickness you ever see in Jesus' mighty name. The believers here don't get sick. The believers here heal the sick in Jesus' name. Come on, if you receive that, go ahead and clap your hands. Give the Lord a mighty shout. Come here. Put one hand on your belly. Lift the other hand up to the Lord. Whatever remains to be done. Close both eyes. Whatever remains to be done. In Jesus' name. Let me see Exodus 15, 26. I might be off by a verse. You can do King James. And God said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord. Now, you qualify for that. How many of you have been to at least five of the meetings this week? Okay, and they're not short meetings. And they're almost all preaching. A little bit of praise and worship, and two and a half hours of word. So if somebody accused you of not diligently hearkening to the word of the Lord, they would be lying. That's why I have a hard time understanding Christians that have a low opinion of themselves. How many know we're all evil? How many know we all displease God every day? You haven't had a chance to displease God any of these days. You've been in church all day, and that's it. What have you done this week that displeased God? We're actually recreating this week. I know it seems strange, but if you read the book of Acts, we're recreating what they did in the book of Acts. And daily they were in the temple. Peter was ministering the word. This is how church is going to be under the coming of the Lord. And I made some decisions when I started Revival Today Church. You know, I've heard you can wear people out. And people don't have to come. I'm not, I'm not up saying, why, wasn't, why weren't people at 1205 prayer today? You go out and have ice cream, but you don't have time for the house of God. That's how you wear people out. You don't motivate people by yelling at them. You motivate people the way God, how did God motivate us in the word? He made us aware of the reward for obedience. Say this out loud. Obedience carries a reward. Unbelief carries a penalty. Faith carries a reward. The, 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 the man that said this couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven, he died. He didn't get to eat any of the food. I don't know if that can happen. I think they're making a mistake keeping my church up, but I mean, I know the Bible talks about healing, but you have to use wisdom too, amen? You suck. And God said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight. Everybody say, I do. Yeah, but Jonathan, I didn't used to. We're not living in used to. We're living in today. And today, your butt's in a gray chair listening to the Bible. So I don't want to hear what you were five years ago. You're not doing that anymore. Now, why would you have a view? How many know we, how many know we miss it every day? How many know even when we don't know it, we commit sins? Really? Have you ever read what sins are? They're very hard to do without knowing them. Hey, honey, you're covered in blood. Oh, shoot, I got so busy, I forgot I accidentally murdered somebody. Murder, adultery, hard to do on accident. If you do it on accident, you're probably demon-possessed. Murder, adultery, idol worship, witchcraft. You accidentally worshiped an idol? 
You know, I was heading home from Cooch Tart. And uh, I saw this graven image on the side of the road. And before I knew it, I pulled my car over, bowed to it, kissed it. And I feel really, really rotten about it. Idol worship, witchcraft, fornication, homosexuality, drunkenness. These are not things you can do by mistake. Sin, by its definition, is willful transgression against, against the will of God. You know. You blow, you're blowing by stop signs and barricades on the inside of you doing what's wrong. So for you to think, how many of you in one way or another have heard someone say, we displease God every day? We sin every day even if we don't know it. Let me ask you a question. Two covenants ago, and each covenant approved, improved on the one before. When God told Satan about Job, what did he say? Have you noticed my servant Job, that he's an upright man, and pleases me, a perfect man who loves what is good and eschews or hates what is evil. So two covenants ago, before the Levitical priesthood and before Christ, God was looking at a man on earth and said, I like that guy, Job. He pleases me. Now, if God could do that two covenants ago, you think he can't? You have the blood of Jesus sprinkled over you? You think God's up in heaven thinking about all your shortcomings? No. Do you ever think he's saying, I like Virginia. She pleases me. She doesn't, she hates evil and she loves what is good. What if you felt like that about yourself? It would change what you did in life if instead of thinking you're constantly disappointing God or God has some secret grievance with you, if you knew, number one, faith pleases God. And I have faith. Thank you, Father, that I please you. That you're giving me grace to please you today and I'll continue to walk in your path and please you tomorrow. Come on, if you receive that, go ahead and put those anointed hands together. All right, we'll go to question and answer soon, but let, let, let's finish this. Elisha gave that word that by this time tomorrow, the economics would flip. That word, when it came out of his mouth, was floating around, looking for somebody to land on that would take it and run with it. And it found two lepers that all of a sudden got the idea that had been sitting there forever. Why are we going to sit here until we die? Let's make a move. So I want you to think of prophecy that way. Prophecies from Scripture are looking for somebody to land on that will take the prophecy and run with it. I'm willing that none should perish, so I'm giving more time for everyone to repent. The reason I haven't come back yet is I want people to be saved. Okay, I'm grabbing that one, and I'm going to make it happen. If you want to see people saved, then I'll be your agent to get it done. And instead of asking God to back what you're doing, find out what he wants done and get on that and everything will drop with ease. I'm looking at the lepers today that the word of the Lord is landing on that what's going to happen in Canada is not just going to happen. Somebody in this room is going to stand up and make it happen. Not by might, not by power, but by the Holy Ghost. Come on, if that's you, go ahead and lift your, er, clap your hands one more time. Say this out loud. Believe with my heart. Confess with my mouth. And that's what I'll close with real quick. Four confessions every Christian should make out of the word of God. Now that you know the importance of confession, and I, I felt no resistance on anything this whole week teaching, including that, what specifically should a Christian confess? Number one, a Christian should confess who they are. Write down in your notes, who I am. Who does the Bible say you are? 
right under it, redeemed, forgiven, empowered, blessed, confess out of your mouth who you are. I am redeemed. I am blessed. I have victory over sin. The Bible says you're holy. The Bible says you're a new creature. The Bible says you are healed. The Bible says you're prosperous. The Bible says you're victorious. Those should be the confessions that proceed out of your mouth. Who am I? I am redeemed. I am holy. I am healed. So I have a, I have a violent reaction. If I'm sitting in church, I'm saying, how many know we're all sinners? Not me. I'm holy. Can't be holy and a sinner any more than you can be dry and wet at the same time. Pick one. I pick holy. Put Hebrews uh, 10, 14 in the King James up on the screen. I am holy. Only Jesus is holy, brother. Oh, yeah? Hebrews 10, 14. King James. By that one offering... For by that one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Let me see Amplified Classic. For by a single offering, he has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who have been consecrated and made holy. Somebody say perfect. perfect. Somebody say holy. holy. That's what the Bible ascribes to the believer. I mean, no one's perfect. <laughs> My Aunt Bonnie... My sister and I's shared aunt, my Uncle Ted's wife. She's the exact opposite of my Uncle Ted. She's the most peaceful lady, diplomatic. But she knows the scripture. So she was in no way, it's not like if I did it. She was just doing it like honestly. The preacher goes, she's sitting in the crowd. The preacher goes, is anyone in this room perfect? She went, I am. <laughs> and everyone's head shot around. And that guy was a faith preacher in name. So when he saw her do it and knew whose wife it was, he realized, he went, well, yes. You know, he's going, none of us are perfect. Well, yes, yes, we have the blood of Jesus has made. Yeah, she wasn't wrong. You're going to get a lot further in life confessing the stuff out of the Bible. What are you going to do in life going around? I'm a sinner. I miss it every day. I displease God. I fail him no matter how hard I try. But he's always there to pick me back up. That's going to be your confession. How about thank you, Father, that you've perfected forever those whom you have made holy. I receive perfection. I receive holiness. Let's, let's talk about perfection real quick. Say this out loud. Perfection is not a destination. It's a path I walk. So you don't wake up one morning and you go to shave and there's a beam of light over your head and two angels. I did it. I'm perfect. It's a daily decision to walk the path of God's word. But God gives you grace to walk that path. Receive grace to walk the path of perfection in Jesus' mighty name. Number one, confess who you are. Number two, confess where you are. With Christ in heavenly realms. Put Revelation 12, 7 and 8 on the board in King James. Revelation 12, 7, 8. What does it mean to be seated with Christ in heavenly places? Revelation 12, 7. And there was war in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Everyone say, prevailed not. Say, I'm seated where Satan has no ability to prevail. Is there a devil? Yeah, but I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, and he can't do anything where I'm seated. That's why the devils have to go when you cast them out, just with the word, out. Me and you aren't in the same place. I'm sure you're very powerful in your kingdom, but your kingdom has been dethroned. And in, in my kingdom, I'm far above you, and I'm seated where you have no ability to prevail. I was playing Xbox one day, and an ant, A-N-T, walked across the table in front of my screen, and I took a napkin and killed it. Now, that ant in ant world might have been valedictorian. He might have been known as one of the strongest ants, but me and him aren't on the same level. There's no prayer required. I'm much stronger than him. Even though amongst other humans, I'm not known as one of the strongest humans. But my class is so far above him, even if you're not known as the strongest Christian, the fact that you're a Christian puts you further above that, the devil than I am from that ant. So what do you pray? I need prayer. The devil's attacking. No, you need the word and you need to understand who you are by redemption. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. I'm seated where Satan has no ability to prevail. Number one, who I am. Number two, where I am. Where are you? There you go. Seated with heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Number two, every Christian must confess what they possess. What I possess. All things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm not trying to get it. I have it. I told you that businessman that was uh, helping our ministry out, he said, he was telling me about some moves we can make land-wise. He said, how much money are you able to get? I said, sir, I can get any amount needed at any time. And even he, who's no slouch, he said, how? I said, I can call it in. And he shook his head. He might think I mean call my ministry partners or call people. If, the, if there's an expansion needed, and it's in the will of God. It won't make any difference how much it costs. If I put a demand on it by my faith, it'll all come in. Why? Because I possess all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm not building a dog track. I'm building a church. It's in the will of God, and God's the one that sent me to do it. So the resources are already committed. The only thing that's in question is where they're going to come from. But them coming in is not even an issue. Number four, every Christian should confess. What they can do and not confess what they can't do. What can you do? All things through Christ who gives me strength. I don't think I'm going to make it. I think I... Every time you feel like you're not going to make it, learn to lift up your hands and confess what the Bible says. You're never wrong when you quote God. You have to learn to use your mouth detached from your feelings. Anybody can confess victory when they're feeling victorious. But what about when it looks like you're surrounded? Nothing's working out. Running out of time. I don't know what I'm going to do. You don't let it come out of your mouth. You say, thank you, Father. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have more than enough to finish every task that's in front of me. Can you say amen? amen. I like what Bishop David Oyedepo posted a couple weeks ago. He was talking about diligence. He said, diligence is... You don't finish when you're tired. You finish when you're done. 
And God will give you a grace to finish when you're done. You won't get weary and well-doing. There'll be a grace that people say, how is she still going? How is he still going? But you won't even feel it because it's Christ doing it on the inside of you. It's the grace of God flowing through you. I tell you, the thing the devil thought was going to knock you out and take you out. There's many people, because I'm in Montreal right now. My spirit's seated with Christ in heavenly places, but my body's down here in Montreal with fellow Montrealers and Canadians. Do you know a lot of you, slash all of you, should be super happy? Because the truth is, Satan already hit you with his best shot. These last two and a half years, you think he has more than that? He doesn't. That was everything, and it failed. I heard an interview between, um, it was George Foreman. And he said when he was boxing Muhammad Ali, he hauled off and hit him as hard as he could. And Muhammad Ali didn't even flinch. He went, is that all you got? And he said, I feel like saying, yeah, that's, that's about all I got. <laughs> he said it was so discouraging because I had drilled him. And he didn't, he didn't look like he even cared. That's how the devil feels about you right now. We got people here that have come through cancer, come through things where the doctor told you you're not going to make it came through an economic time where you were supposed to be penniless and instead you have a testimony like John where God rose your financial level when it was supposed to go down. They told you you're going to lose your job if you didn't do X, Y, and Z. You stood firm, kept your job and I'm telling you the devil's having a meeting right now. What do we got to do to discourage that lady? What do we got to do to get that guy down? We've done everything we can and they're still sitting in a revival meeting, clapping their hands, celebrating the message of faith. If the devil had his way, a long time ago you'd say I'm done with faith I don't want to hear anything about faith but no you rose up stronger in the Lord and now's going to come the time of your greatest victory not by might not by power but this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith so rejoice and be glad for the victory is already yours Go ahead, take 30 seconds and let it rip. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say it out loud, I'm still standing. I'm not going down. I'm going up from glory to glory. Victory to victory. And strength to strength. Say it so the devil can hear you. The last battle I lost will be the last one I ever lose. I'm undefeatable. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm telling you, sometimes when I listen to certain guys, especially boxers, before their fight, the way they talk, I can like feel the anointing. You ain't gonna beat me. I'll take you out in round five. If I feel like having dinner, I'll do it in round three. I like that. That's why you don't see a lot of born-again Christian successful boxers. That'd be the unsaved guy. I'll take you out in round five. If I get hungry and want to have dinner, I'll take you out in round three. Then they'd swing it to the Christian. I'll do my best, but ultimately it rests in God's hands. <laughs> You're going to get knocked out, buddy. Read what David had to say. David killed Goliath with his words before he ever launched the stone. Today, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll cut off your head, and then I'm coming after everybody behind you. Now, listen. David took Goliath out. And then the men that were behind Goliath, he went after them too. The Goliath in Canada has fallen. 
And now the 900 men behind him are going to pay a price. Everything that's connected to the devil is coming under judgment this year in Jesus' name. This is a new day for Canada in Jesus' mighty name. Like I did yesterday, I'm going to briefly open the floor for questions and answers. But before I do, we're going to receive the morning offering. The offering envelopes are in your seat. If you're watching online, you can go to revivaltoday.com and click give now. No one's under any obligation to give. Uh, if you want to give through GNC, if you're sitting here live, you can use their internet information that they'll pop up on the screen. And we'll do that quickly. And uh, if the Lord spoke to your heart while I was speaking at some point, you wanted to do something like I did uh, that one time where you sow an offering of faith and it catapults your whole year. This will be the, the last morning to do that. And then there's people in the morning meetings that aren't in the night meetings. So that's what I do. I'm not trying to get you to give twice a day. But you have new people coming in all the time and different people online. If you're making out a check, make it out to Good News Chapel. If you're here, if you're watching online, revivaltoday.com and you click give now. Put your faith out for explosive increase. Don't pass the buckets just yet. You've got to give people time to write. A lot of times when I sit in the front row, by the time I finish my offering, the buckets are in row six. There's the info for Good News Chapel. Goodnewschapel.org slash give. And then if you're watching online, you can give directly to me, but I'm in Canada, so they need a way to give here because I'm not a recognized charity. Give you about 30 more seconds. And tonight's the closeout of the revival meeting. Seven o'clock. It's half an hour earlier tonight because in theory there's less traffic on Saturdays. I don't know if that's actually the case. I will tell you the traffic here is officially worse than the Cross Bronx Expressway. Okay. The traffic will turn around for your good. She said speak life. Okay. I see new roads being constructed. <laughs> Look at you guys. Even the reputation of Canada's going, well, you don't, want to not, you don't want to talk unbelief around those Canadian people. They'll call you on. Father, every seed, let it produce a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and give. Thank you for your online giving. Thank you for your live giving. Thanks for caring about what God called Adalas and I to do. It means a lot. I'm going to get a second uh, microphone ready. If you have a question, go ahead and lift your hands and they'll, your hand and they'll get a mic to you. Right here. Okay, I got a quick question. Go for it. You were saying that you, you play video games? Yes. <laughs> I play Xbox too. I wanted to know if I could have you game tag. <laughs> I would give it to you. I'll tell you why I'm not giving it to you. Because my daughter started playing it and she changed my screen name. I used to have a cool name and now it's Sugar Rush and then a bunch of numbers. And I don't know my gamer tag. But if you leave yours with me, I'll contact you. 
Deal? All right, I'll see you on Call of Duty. We'll kill imaginary people together. Who's next? I like, how, I like how important the questions are. Hi. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for everything you did this week. Oh, you're Honestly, welcome. it's been a wonderful blessing. I have a question that I think is from years of, well, I used to go to a fundamental Baptist church. Independent okay. fundamental Baptist? I don't know. I don't remember. I was very young. I know those churches. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were taught um, that women couldn't pastor. Yes. So as I came refound, I'm struggling with this because my old teaching is telling me this doesn't make sense because I haven't really heard a refreshed biblical response to that. Okay. You know? I'll tell you uh, two things. Number one, if I had them, I'd give them to you. Order two books, and this is for any lady that has questions that way. One's called If I Were a Woman by T.L. Osborne. Number two is called The Woman Question by Kenneth Hagin. 60% of missionaries are women. So, uh, The Woman Question by, Ke by Kenneth Hagin. If I Were a Woman by T.L. Osborne. Uh, the Woman Question by Kenneth Hagin. And that answers it. And Kenneth Hagin was a Baptist, you know, before he got the baptism of the Holy Ghost and got kicked out. So he knows Baptist teaching on... That's why I like Kenneth Hagin stuff a lot. Because when you got ingrained for 18 years why it was wrong to speak in tongues, now you know how to defend it from the Bible, why, why it's right. John Osteen was the same way. So he, he takes it. He heard the standpoint of why it's wrong and he tells you why it's right. Now, I'll tell you, since... You don't have those books. Just very simply, Paul identified female apostles. There's one in the book of Romans that he, he uh, said, Greet Junia or Julia, my co-labor, but the word co-labor means fellow apostle in the original language. So in the King James, they changed it to Julius and put it in, asterisk, put it in italics with an asterisk because the translators refused to concede that there was a female apostle. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are in order. I mean, the, the ministry gifts are in order. Apostle is top. Prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. So if there were female apostles, then obviously, and we know there's female prophets. Philip had four unmarried daughters. Some translations say who prophesied, but in the original, it's it's not prophetesses. There's no, uh, there's no female tense to ministry gifts. There's not apostlesses and evangelists. He had four unmarried daughters who were prophets. So you have the top two gifts, apostle and prophet, are women. Pastor, no women are able to instruct men. Well, you have a, a, a Aquila and Priscilla going and preaching. And then you have the Bible say um, in Joel that Peter requotes, in the last days, and this one will really get a Baptist. In the last days, your sons and daughters. Sons and who? Daughters. Will what? Do Baptists believe in prophet, will prophesy? Would they take that word the same way you would take it as a full gospel person? No. What does a Baptist say it means to prophesy? It means to preach the word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what a Baptist says. So even in their own doctrine, your daughters will preach the word under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. That help? And then th those books will, will shore it up. 
Amen? Then you look through history. Obviously, you can't base things just on history. You base it on the Word. But then, then after you've seen that it's in the Word, have there ever been successful female pastors? Uh, Amy Simple McPherson had the largest church in the United States of America as a single woman. 5,000 people in the early 1900s when a megachurch was 250. You ever hear that old Hollywood song? Hollywood, da-da-da-da-da-da, Hollywood. From da-da-da-da to Amy Semple. She's in the Hollywood song. If you went to L.A. to go tour Hollywood, you went to Angelus Temple and saw her church. Even unsaved people knew her. When she came back on the train from going out and preaching, when she got off the train, there was 10,000 people waiting to greet her as a woman pastor. Can you say amen? amen. Next question. No, you don't get any more questions. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Hi. Um, on Thursday night, you had said, ladies, if you're called to the ministry, don't marry an idiot. Yes. And um, so I happen to be a missionary, and I, used to, I usually travel to the MENA region, but I haven't been able to go anywhere since 2019. Travel where? To the MENA, uh, Middle East, North Africa. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, I haven't been able to go anywhere since 2019. And uh, in, over the past couple of years, just being in solitude and lonely, I quickly married someone who last year who purported to be a man of God, anti-pandemic, and uh, into healings and stuff like that. But shortly after our wedding, he uh, showed himself to be very dark and violent. And so we uh, agreed mutually. And By the way, before you finish, I'm very sorry that happened. Just because you know, I know I joke around stuff and say, don't marry I, I, I'm very sorry. Yeah. So uh, we mutually and cordially agreed to divorce. Yes. And uh, I left him in Ontario where we lived. And the Lord led me here and said, this will be my mission field. Now, in terms of faith, do I believe and hope that God will transform him for the purposes of reconciliation? Or do I move on and proceed with steps of, for divorce? And is that a lack of faith in doing so? No. Uh, to answer your question, I would move on. Because um, to, to, you, know, you have such a short time on earth to, to, quit, to waste years hoping someone changes and tie your forward advancement to somebody else turning around. You know, let's say he does turn around. And he, five years from now, that's five years. So you made a mistake that you admitted. You cut ties, the worst thing you can do if you make a mistake is to continue to make a series of other mistakes because of that mistake. So I would, you, you divorced, I would just go straight on into what God's called you to do and treat it like I messed up, you forgive me, Lord, and, and now I'm going forward. And, and uh, God will bless you. And, I, and I'm telling you, as somebody that's very strong on the Bible, that... Um, you know, I, I, I would go forward, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like I was second class, or now I'm in, like, God's plan B for my life. Um, God will forgive you. That, that happens to a lot of people, and there are. There are people that are professional deceivers, especially men. And they'll, they know how to act to get a Christian to marry them. And then after the marriage, they, they change, and it turns out they're not... They're not saved. And yeah, you know, that's the nasty thing about what the pandemic did to people. When you're alone, for, you know, you were busy in, the, in missions work. You didn't even have time to think about being that you were single. It didn't really matter. You're just going full bore. Then you're home 
and bored and afraid. You know, I'm sure you don't, I'm not saying you have a spirit of fear, but they're telling you the world's gonna end, basically. And there's some guy that shows interest in you. I have compassion for what happened. And God will help you. And it's not a sin to get divorced. When you get into divorce and remarriage, there's some issues. But if, if a guy, um, all divorce and remarriage isn't a, isn't a sin. So, sufficiently answered your question? All right, good. Next. Uh, thank you so much for coming, Evangelist Jonathan. This week has changed our lives. It's been nice meeting you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, question for you. Um, I'm very interested in uh, ministries that are, like how can we as a church and uh, be disciple-making disciples? What, what have you seen uh, kind of like in your life and your experience where churches have, people have come in, gotten saved, and then stay in the church and grow and flourish, and then they become disciple-making disciples? Very good. Number one, to, before you fillet a fish, you have to catch a fish. So these people that make, how many know God didn't tell us to go win souls, he told us to make disciples, which involves winning souls, because you need a fresh convert to disciple. So number one, there needs to be a steady stream of intake into the church of new people getting saved. The way God has done that through our, our church in Pittsburgh, I'm not saying it's the only way, but I saw it as like octopus arms going out from the head, that there's all these sub pockets in society that are real into a certain world, and if we send an outreach arm into that world, a percentage come in and, and make friends with the church people and, and come to the church and get saved. So we have Revival Today Veterans Brigade. Now, I don't know how successful that would be in, in Canada, but in America, we have a massive military, trillion-dollar industrial military complex, and there's tons of guys that have come back from war that are veterans, and there's like, there's like a brotherhood, and they need taken care of, and they're not being taken care of. So we have born-again veterans that have a heart for those guys that head that up. We just started Revival Today Fitness. There's people that the gym is their church. Their whole world revolves around the gym and nutrition. So we have people that are into that at our church that now started Revival Today Fitness and are reaching into that world. You have, uh, uh, I'm leaving a bunch out. But anyway, you, you have a bunch of arms into those kind of pockets. Adas, I don't know how well it would work in Canada as well, but Adas just started Revival Today Gun Club. Adalis is an avid shooter. She does tactical training. She's been doing tactical training for a long time. Plus, we have those veterans. So you have guys that want to shoot that if you have a range and then you hold a Bible study or a fellowship after, and then you have ministries. Ministries catch people. To answer your question very directly, I called a pastor named James Morocco when I was starting the church, and I said, tell me everything you know about pastoring. I said, you saw I'm starting a church. Tell me what I need to know. He talked to me on the phone for two hours. It was all him talking, which is what I wanted. And he said, when someone comes into your church, think of it as a pinball getting launched into a pinball machine. If that pinball doesn't catch on any flippers or the little holes, it'll go right back out. So when people come into the church, there's a lot of pastors, and I'm not talking about Good News Chapel. I'm talking about in general. There's a lot of pastors, because Steve, it wouldn't even be, this wouldn't even apply. But there's a lot of pastors they do a great job of getting everybody fired up. Like, let's say I preach on Sunday. We need to win souls. Evangelism is important. How many know we need to win souls? Okay, so you're getting people out. Yes, amen. I'm with you. When's the next time we're going out to win souls? Uh, we, don't, we don't actually have that, but just in general, we need to win souls. So there's no people, some, some preachers do a great job, or pastors, of getting everybody fired up about things, but there's actually no outlet if anybody wants to do anything with it. We need, we need, to, help, we need to help veterans. There's, well, now... 
if you, if you structure the church right, when people get fired up about ministering to children, these children are being taught demonic things in school. There needs to be a place they come and hear the word of God. Then there needs to be a thing that when you have 25 people that hear you preach that Sunday, say, yeah, I want to get involved in that. There's something to involve them in. So I've actually been doing, of course, in sales, they call it assuming the sale or thinking past the sale. But I had this big, strong guy with a shaved head that I could tell had busted a few heads in his day that was probably 50 years old. He told his daughter he would never come to my church. Then when we did the motorcycle giveaway, he came. Then he didn't come. Then he came two months later. Then I saw him come a second time. But the first, the first time he came, the first time he came back, I walked up to him in the front row. Now, this is a guy who I know has said he, doesn't, he won't come to church. He's not too keen on me. He's in the front row with a big Masonic uh, necklace on and diamonds. Like, just let me, hey, I'm a Freemason. I'm just here with my family. And standing like this. I walked up to him on my way to the platform, and I said, hey, I saw you at the motorcycle outreach. Good to have you back. Kind of like reluctantly shook my hand. And I said, I need you. I said, you see all these guys I have as ushers? They're strong guys. I said, I, I could use you being an usher at my church. I said, that's Jeff. He's the head usher. See him after the service and get plugged in as an usher. Well, you know, that takes it past the whole salvation thing. Like, I'm not a Christian, but this guy got me helping out at his church every Sunday. I signed up. So, and he did. It was two Sundays after he came forward to get saved. But have something. I told my church last week, we had 571 people. I said, as this church goes to 2,500, these 571 should be the leaders. So I said, all of you that are here, there's a guy in the front row. He's been coming for three weeks. He's a Navy SEAL. He just left being a Navy SEAL. I said, like this guy that's a Navy SEAL, I said, I don't want to see you sitting. You, 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 you can pilot million-dollar equipment. You can accomplish any task. If it's six against 2,000, you win. I said, it bothers me that you're sitting here. I said, find something. Children's ministry. Everyone laughs because he doesn't really look like a children's minister. I said, whatever. But I want you. I said, everyone that's here should be a part of moving the church forward. And for a long time, it's like the goal in Christianity was to, be, was to faithfully attend. But really, after about Sunday number three, you should be finding something you're doing that advances that church. Now, if you go to church, you say, well, there's nothing at my church that does that. Then I'd find one, like here. They have Good News University. I, they have the children's program that goes every day. There's a lot to do at this church. And so all of those things will bring in people. If you, and if they're not bringing in people, they just need tweaked a little bit. It's like the gun club. The goal is not to gather up a bunch of rednecks around the Pittsburgh area and shoot guns and everyone disperse. There is a little bit of pulling in and people making friends, and you want it to draw it in. We have a sports team. Like, for example, I don't pastor this church, and, and, and it's up to Pastor Steve, but, like, there should be a Good News Chapel deck hockey team. There should be a Good News Chapel ice hockey team. You make friends. You meet people. There's guys that won't come to church, but will play on the ice hockey team, and then they make friends, and then they come to church. People go where the love is. That's the whole secret of the LGBTQIA plus community is these kids that felt weird, we accept you. Come to us. So people follow the love. If they, they meet people on that hockey team or the deck hockey team or the bicycling, whatever you do, gun club, yeah, these people are nice. These people care about me. They're going to follow you where you go. Can you say amen? 
So I hope that answers. Go, uh, next one. Um, so I have a quick question on divine healing. So I do believe in divine healing. And I also pray that uh, the Lord would increase my faith sure. for this particular thing. Uh, so I do believe that um, it could be an initial sign to bring those who are unsaved onto salvation. But I want to know for the Christian who's already regenerated, uh, if uh, they should expect healing all the time. And then also if there's an example in the New Testament. Because uh, I look at some passage, uh, for instance, uh, sorry, some scripture that talks about how... Uh, Paul left... Uh, Paul told Timothy, yeah. Sick, left him sick at Miletus, take a little wine for your stomach's sake, all that. Exactly. So Remember this just, about the Bible. I, just to finish the question, Go sorry. Um, I wanted to know also, like... Because um, divine healing shouldn't be looked at as, as a pill, right? Like we go to the doctor, they offer us a pill, and then we never change our lifestyle. Should we also uh, include in our divine healing a lifestyle we, change? Yes, that's, that's an excellent thing. Divine healing is cooperative, like he's saying. You know, you hear me preach on healing. I have a personal trainer booked, and when I'm home, I, and it, it's not to look hot for bathing suits even. It's, I'm married. It, 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 it's, it's, to, uh, it's to keep my body mobility so I can keep preaching. If this suit breaks down, this earth suit, I can't preach. I know lots of guys, they're anointed, but they let their body go so out of whack that they can't preach anymore. They can't travel. They broke down. So like I told you, and then we're starting Revival Today Fitness Club at the church. That's a gym club. There's a big church in South Africa that I preached at. That pastor mandates that all of his staff work out a minimum of one hour a day. And then they reach a bunch of people in the gym too, but that's a church of jacked people. They looked like every usher looked like a UFC fighter. Because think about it. It's not, you can't leave, like the, the thing that you brought up, that's excellent. Because you can't leave that alone. You, you get, well, I'm not going to do that. You're either cooperating with your health or making it harder on yourself. You're going to eat something. So why not eat things that help and not hurt? You don't have to be insane about it. I haven't had one gram of sugar in over three years. Okay, take it easy. You know, even the guys that do stuff will tell you, you can have, you know, you can eat a scoop of ice cream. You can't eat a scoop of ice cream every night. So, yes, divine healing is cooperative. That scripture you brought up, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. You'll have the Lord speak to you about stuff like that. Quit eating. I, I was just with a pastor, and I bought a bunch of pork ribs for an appetizer, and he said, I'm not weird or anything. But I had the Lord speak to me, for me personally, to cut pork out of my diet. He said, I think it's a family thing. My father always ate pork and died young. I would always eat it. I felt the Lord speak to me. If you, if you don't want to go the way your father went, cut that out of your diet. The Lord didn't tell him, now preach it. He's a pastor. He said, I don't preach it from the pulpit. God will give you personal things. I used to keep a 24-pack of Mountain Dew in my refrigerator. And I, I, I'd drink it. Kept me up. When I play video games, I'd have three while I'm playing, just out of boredom. One day, I opened the fridge and went to reach for it. Now, you shouldn't need the Lord to tell you this. But one day, I opened the refrigerator and went to take one. The Lord said, if you keep doing that, it is going to cause you problems down the line. Yeah, you can't have 140 grams of sugar and drink it on top of whatever you're eating. So if you listen to the Spirit, God's Spirit, like God's Spirit did through Paul. Hey, Timothy, you're drinking garbage water in the city that you live. Have some wine, which the wine back then was, was like a grape juice. And have that for your stomach because you're sick so often. 
Then Paul left another guy. He said, I was unable to get this guy healed and left him sick at Miletus. I left Trophus sick at Miletus. You have to remember this from the Bible. The Bible is very different from the Quran and other religious books in that it tells the truth. In every other religious book, everybody's a hero. Everything always worked out perfectly. The Bible tells you that David committed adultery. The Bible tells you that Paul prayed for a guy and couldn't get him healed. But you don't base your doctrine out of that. Just like you don't say, well, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. He saw a naked woman and got her pregnant. That's just how it is. No. It's telling you what people did, even if it was wrong. It tells you. Just like I would have to tell people, as much as I preach healing. I prayed for this person at this certain church, and I, I couldn't get him healed. And so, tell the truth. But as far as divine healing, yes, there is divine healing as a sign and wonder, like I prayed on the, played on the video last night. You know, when that Haitian's guy deaf, Haitian guy's deaf ear came open and he told the whole crowd, Jesus opened my ear, people got saved. But God's main plan of healing is not to impress unsaved people. God's main thrust for healing is the same as prosperity, the same as peace, he loves you. And many times in Christianity, because I used to look at it like how you were bringing it from that standpoint, that's how I felt. Everything was about winning the lost. All money should go to win the lost. But you know, God loves his children as much as he loves the lost. He didn't get you saved like, um, okay, you've received Jesus. Now leave me alone and go, and go win the lost. God didn't get you saved to get another employee in his soul winning program. You win souls because you love God. But God's covenant's with you. He heals you for the same reason he saved you. Because he loves you. And any father, when their child's sick, thinks, I wish I could have that instead of them. Well, God actually did it. He sent his son to take all your sickness and all your disease in his own body so that you can be healed. Then furthermore, like how, I like how you came at it from the evangelistic standpoint. As to be an evangelist, if I'm going to preach twice a day, then tomorrow in Pittsburgh, then at night in Florida, through the next week again, I, I can't be at 80% or 85 or 90. I can't even be at 100%. I need to actually be at 100% plus God's grace on, on my body. You can't, I can't preach sick. I can't, if anyone needs healed. <coughs> I, I need to be at the top of my game. But if you'll see it with the divine healing, that God, healing is the children's bread. And then what's bread? Their daily necessary provision that every day God has healing for you because he wants you well. You can't win souls dead. You can't win souls housebound. Pastor Steve, I'd love to come up to Montreal, but, you know, I have this, this, and this wrong. It requires 24-hour care till it's better. That immobilizes me. Sickness is an enemy. And Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And he didn't always heal people in front, in, in crowds. He healed, he went into Peter's mother-in-law's room and raised her up. No one saw it. No one was converted by it. God has an overflowing love for healing. And it's the way you asked the question was, 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 was interesting to me because I, coming out of Bible college, that's how I felt. It's like everything is about wanting the lost. And so people can see the power of God and, and be changed. But, and I find a lot of reformed people and I like reformed people. They don't like me, but I like them. Most of them kept their churches open. They, they come at things 
And it's not just Reformed people. Old-time Pentecostal people, too. There's no understanding that God loves you as his child. Every, you're a means to an end. God's doing that so you can go win souls. God's doing that to give you a testimony so you can tell people and they can come into the church. God loves you. The same God that opened that stadium up to win all those souls wanted me to take my wife out for three weeks to minister to her and then took care of the finances while I did. God's covenant's not with my ministry. God's covenant's with me. And then I do what I do for him out of my love for God. Does that help? Good? That's a good question. Go ahead, next. And then she, have her go next in the denim jacket. Go ahead. Hey, Pastor John. Um, I have, uh, I'm not even sure if there's a practical answer to this question. Just, just so you know, I'll go till 1, 1.30, and I won't go any later than that. Go ahead. So we were, my wife and I were watching uh, a broadcast that you had done about owning land and property, mm -hmm. and you had shown a video of, I think it was Kenneth Hagin, who had, who had made an offer to somebody who that was much lower than what, that, what was required to buy that land or that property in that, at that point. So if, I guess I'm, maybe you can guide me through some steps here about reap, uh, planting a seed and reaping. If we attach our faith to a seed that goes beyond whatever we ever thought we can give, and then we're expecting God to provide for whatever, a house or a car, whatever we're believing God for, that period in between, we've done the research about a house or, or whatever this investment is, what do we do then? Do we do like what Brother Hagen did and make an offer even if we don't tangibly have that money? Or do we just wait for it to be in the bank and then we make an offer? Like I was just wondering if you could add some insight that's, on that. That's a good question. I would, they tell you, they used to tell you as a preacher, if you're full gospel, pray like everything depends on God and preach like everything depends on you. And I would do that, I would say that's good carryover life advice. I do all the spiritual things to activate my covenant, but then when it comes time to negotiate or whatever, I do it like there's like it's just me and the guy. So no, I would not just launch out and say, I'm gonna make an offer and believe for God to come through because Brother Hagen taught prayer, very interesting. He said, if you're helping somebody move a big piece of furniture and they're not carrying their end, you can feel it. And he said in prayer or what you're doing, if it ever feels like you're doing all the pulling and there's no grace behind it, he said God might not be in that. He said there's times when you pray where you can tell the Lord's like with you in, in the prayer. And then there's other times where it's like you're going against, you're trying to like force something into existence that God doesn't necessarily want. So ascertain the will of God and then pray the will of God in, into existence. One time I was preaching at a church, a little church, and I was fasting and praying for the church to have revival and it wasn't going anywhere. And on day three, I felt the Lord speak to me. Who says I want this church to grow? I don't, I don't really care for the pastor, to be honest with you. I'm in charge of all the sheep. I'm not entrusting more sheep to this guy. I'm not bringing 250 people in here for him to massacre. So you're working against me. And that was the first time when I got that revelation that I actually started like pray about where I go now because I realized God's actually not interested in growing every church because he's got a problem with something. So I would, um, I wouldn't just, I'm not big on like, I'm gonna rent out the Bell Center and I don't have the money for it, but I'm gonna believe it comes in, in time. I don't like that. I like operating out of your storehouse that's full of grain. And so everything in God's will 
should flow. There should be a flow to it. And Pastor Rodney has that saying, if you have to force it, it's not God. If it feels forced, even if you're being spiritual, I don't, I, I come, I, I'm walking this land everywhere my foot shall tread, but it just, you don't feel any grace behind it. It's just you like trying to ramrod something into existence. I'd lay off. And then I'd let the easy flow. Adonis walk into that property. Oh, uh, were you looking to buy a property? I've been praying that God would send somebody to help me unload this building, and I believe you're the answer to the prayer. I'd pay attention to like the grace where you can just feel God in it. Now, I know that's a very generalized answer, but I can't tell you what house to buy and what not to buy. But I, I wouldn't sow, believe for increase, confess things in line with what you're believing for, and then there, there is a waiting for it to come to pass. I don't mean nine years, but you'll know, it's almost like, this question's almost like talking to, to somebody that's single about how do I know the woman's gonna be the one I should marry. It's very hard to explain. But then when you meet her, it's very easy to explain. This is the place. That is the girl. Your, your, your spirit settles down and you feel good about it. Brother Hagen said, when you're out of the will of God, it feels like taking a shower with your socks on. Something doesn't feel right. So if your spirit is not feeling it, and then on the flip side, you go to do something like, this is it. This is the place. Then the Lord will start giving you the plan how to take it. Does that help? All right, good. Yes. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan. You're welcome. Yes, we're being so blessed by your teachings. Um, my question is on the principle of sowing and reaping especially when it comes to tithing. Um, I believe it's very important to tie in healthy ground and as well as where you're being fed and grown. So uh, I came from Rwanda and I got saved in Rwanda. Rwanda, the yeah. gem of Africa right now. Yeah. It's doing great. Yes. So when I came here, um, I, I believe so well um, um, I believe that we should tie or give to God without being hypered, like it should be a principle that we should live by. So it was difficult for me to choose where now to tie. So my question is, um, is there any scriptural reference to where we should sow? Like I have a spiritual father and they would say you sow at your spiritual parents. And when I'm here, my pastor say, you saw where you're being fed. I'm being fed both either way, because I follow both online. So am I to ask the Holy Spirit, okay, this Sunday I'm gonna do my tithing in Rwanda, and this the next Sunday I tithe here, or divide it, so. I would, uh, that's a great question, and I think it's a question a lot of people have. Where does my tithe belong? I used to very, I, I would never answer this question, because I was an evangelist, so if I didn't say to tithe to the local church, people think I was trying to get them just to tithe to me. But now, now I'm a local pastor as well, and I feel this way permanently. Number one, if somebody says I go to church, but I'm not being, really being fed there, so I want to tithe somewhere else. That's fine, but then as soon as possible, you need to get to a place where your church is a place where you're being fed. Even if you have to look around and break ties with a place you've been going a long time or whatever. And I know a lot of Canadians are in a situation like a lot of Californians are in. It's like, yeah, I used to have a place, and I don't know what the heck happened the last three years, but that's not the same church I've been attending. But then God's raising up other churches and stuff, and even if you have to drive a little ways, 
I would go there. You're not wrong. You know, pastors that are real harsh about your tithe belongs to the local church. They quote it out of Malachi. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Then they very quickly say, the storehouse is the local church. But the storehouse in Malachi was written 400 years before there ever was a local church, and it provided for all ministry gifts. So I don't have a problem if a pastor says that, but some of them I do because a lot of pastors believe all money should flow to the, scene, to the church, then they dole out to other ministries as they see, see fit and have a wall full of missionaries that they support for $15 a month. And where did, uh, where did Barnabas, when he sold his land, where did he lay the money? Where did he lay the money? At the apostles' feet. So that's not evangelist or pastor. That goes to the top and then down. I don't think it's wrong if you feel, like you said, you have a spiritual father in, in Rwanda. You're not wrong to, to tithe there. And it's good to tithe to your local church. Now, you should not sit in your church. I'm not saying, yeah, I, I go to Good News Chapel. I don't tithe there, though. Then you need to go where you're tithing and move or be a part of that ministry. But there's just so many variances. For example, I've had people tell me, I sold my house for $700,000. I'm going to tithe $70,000 to your ministry, to me. Um, is that wrong? Because my church is shut down. Or my church doesn't believe in tithing. If you go to a church that doesn't believe in tithing, I'd give them what they believe. Nothing. We believe tithing's Old Testament. Good to hear. I'll send mine somewhere else. I would not, you heard John's testimony. If you give to a place that bashes increase, it's going to hurt your seat. And if you give to a place that has an increased anointing and prays over the seed and has a room full of people like Jesse Duplantis' ministry that's praying for their partners every day, Lord, increase them, increase their business, you're going to notice a difference on the return. So I would be led by the Spirit. The, the local church should be taken care of. But you, you also need to go. It's just, it's a weird time. It's like if it was 1981, I might answer this question differently. But there's so many people that are like, they actually don't have a church home right now. Now, if I went to Good News Chapel, I would tithe here. I made all my employees tithe not to our ministry, but to the church we attended before I started a church. Because I didn't want, otherwise it's like a 10% tax. And I know ministries that will actually like take the tithe out and bring it to the church. You can't force tithe. Well, you're on staff, you're, you're tithing. You know, I mean, that, that's, not a, that's not giving. That's stealing. So no one's entitled to anybody's tithe or offering. The kingdom of God is entitled to it. No one owes me their tithe. I don't check that in and find, find out some family's not tithing. I've been noticing you've been coming here for two years. We never seen, that's their business. Because you can't, what's the point of even like telling people? You can't force people to give. In our membership classes at church, they would teach on giving. First of all, I teach on giving enough. I told them, quit telling the people about that. If you're going to become a member here, your tithe belongs here. Because people will give. You can't make people give. You can't even make people pay their taxes. If somebody's heart checks out from a ministry, they're going to stop giving whether they signed a membership form or not. Amen? So I told them, I told them, just, you know, we teach it. 
The Lord will speak to people that are here to give here. That's not going to be a problem. But um, no, you're not wrong. I'll just put some, some rules on tithing. You can't say my kid's going to Bible college, so I'm going to take my tithe and pay their tuition. I can't say it. You know, when you think about it, I could show my tithe. I could show that I tithe or that our ministry gives a lot, and really we don't give anything. I could take our tithe from Revival Today Evangelistic and put it in Revival Today Church, and I could take our church, uh, Revival Today Church and put it in Revival Today Evangelistic, and on paper I'm giving to ministries, but really I'm taking money from the one pocket I control and putting it in the other pocket I control. So the money goes out. Seed has to leave your hand to produce a harvest. And as quick as possible, you should get into a good church and have your tithe there. And if I was in Good News Chapel, just like I did when I was in Pittsburgh, my tithe, ministry, and personal would, would, would go to the, the church that I'm at. Especially if I was with a pastor that was the only one who kept his church open in the entire province. I, I would make sure my money was flowing into that place. Does that help you? I, but, you know, yeah, good. Next. Oh, all right, let's go rapid, rapid fire. Go ahead. Uh, Jonathan, how, how do you deal with the toxic family members who have repeatedly shown that they're really not trustworthy, uh, you know, from a forgiveness perspective and from a Christian perspective? I would mute their phone calls, and I would mute them, not block them. Most, most social media, you can mute people now, and they don't know they're muted. Anybody that has the ability to throw my day off kilter, I don't give them access to me. Not that I won't talk to you again, but I'll talk to you when I feel like talking to you. I'm not taking a call at 9.30 in the morning that you're mad. I, I heard you saying this. I don't, yeah. I'm, that's going to happen one time. So you, it's not your job to convert your family. And as you see with Jesus in Mark 6, family are, are the last ones to listen to you. So the biggest frustration you can have in life is trying to cart your whole family on this faith journey with you. My mom's Catholic, and she let her be Catholic. She's going to go to heaven. She, is she called on Jesus as Savior? Yes, we would all like our whole family present with us at church on Sunday. Unfortunately, that ship sailed after we turned nine or ten. People going in their own direction. You know, my, my sister's in another country. That's, that's how it goes. So to have this thing, like, I want my mom and dad to believe in healing like I believe in healing. Yes, so do I. I I've come into this sowing and reaping message. My dad doesn't believe in tithing. I'll tell you a story. I have a family member who wasn't saved at all, and I had a relative call me and say, you need to pray for so-and-so because they don't believe in miracles. I was thinking, yeah, I know they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in any, any of the Bible. And uh, they're going to a church that's reformed, and they, they, they believe that, that they're in cessationism. You need to pray. I said, well, wait a minute. So-and-so's going to church? Oh, yeah, every Sunday. He's quit drinking. I said, Great. He believes that Jesus is, is a savior. I don't need him to like my ministry. The goal is not to convert people to become partners of revival today. I only need four or 500,000 people to do that. The, the goal is for people to go to heaven. So if my relative that used to drink and not go to church has stopped drinking and is going to church but doesn't like the faith message, that'll still get him to heaven. Obviously, I'll get a call from him at some point, 15 years down the line. It's amazing how many people don't believe in faith or divine healing until they're sick. Um, Jonathan, could you pray? Oh, me? You want me? Why don't you ask your reformed pastor to pray for you? Because you know you'll die. But that's fine. 
That's fine. And then when, when, people, when people get in trouble, then, then they'll call back. There was a guy that used to be on Christian radio. His name was the Bible Answer Man, Hank Hanegraaff. He hated, he hated any Pentecostal, any full gospel person. Then a couple years ago, he got diagnosed with cancer, converted to Greek Orthodox, and goes for prayer for divine healing. That's the jerkiest thing to tell people for 30 years that if you're sick, you should accept it as a gift from God and we're called to suffer. But then when you get sick, it's like all the ministers I knew that were totally against divorce and remarriage for any reason, and then their daughter got divorced. You know, I've been rethinking. Yeah, now you are. So treat people the way you want to be treated. Amen? Go ahead. Next. That's me. Thank you very much, uh, Jonetta, for being here. I, my question is this. Um, uh, I really admire, like you, uh, Charles Finley. Yes. It's called uh, the Apostle of Revival. Yes. And I know that 85% convert over his ministry uh, stay Christian. Ah, as a church, because I know now on this, uh, at our time, it's almost like 10, 20% of people who get converts stay Christian. That's right. Ah, as a Christian or evangelist, we can make people stay like 85%. Well, that's a great thing you brought up. Charles Finney would have about 80% of his converts stay plugged into church. Most evangelists, it's 10 or 20%, which is probably where I'm at, so I'm not knocking people that are. But when, when you look at that, the point that was made and the point Charles Finney used to make about that is it matters how people are converted. If you'd like to come to the altar where we have our prayer partners here and would just like to um, turn, make a decision to say no to sin and make Jesus your Lord and they'll come pray, that'll get you in heaven, that's true. But when you, when you get knocked out of your seat and plastered to the floor for three hours like at Finney's meeting for, by the power of God and then people go to pick you up off the floor and they can't move you and you stay there for three days, those people would get up and you didn't have to invite them to church. Right. I'm saved. So it's like I heard, I, heard uh, I was preaching for Brother Sansusi down in Plattsburgh, New York. And this, this guy got hit by the power of God when he came to the altar and cried his eyes out. And was saying, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And Sister Sansusi said, he really got saved. And then she went, now I know everybody's born again, but and it is a hard, because you are born again. It's not you're crying or you're shaking or anything that makes you, but you having an encounter with God. And that's why it's so important to have the Holy Ghost on display on Sunday mornings, that people have a dramatic encounter with God. You know, um, that guy I told you about with the shaved head that I told you should be an usher and now he never misses. The second Sunday after he got saved was when I was in Arizona. I love you guys. Thanks for coming all this time. Where did you two come from? What province? Thanks for coming. Love you all. God bless you. Good job getting a kid off that early to go to church. You're better than me. I used to just leave my baby home till church was over. Um, my Uncle Ted came two Sundays after that guy got saved, and I was watching on the screen in, in Arizona. Walked right over to him, and he said, Buddy, Lord's going to heal you. I saw this guy, you know, he just started coming to church, He's, and he called out three illnesses the guy had, and I saw his eyes go like this, and he laid hands on him, the guy went out under the power, and he's been different since then. He's not missed a Sunday. His daughter messaged me while I was here and said, my dad uh, does clothing and is having two suit jackets made for you. You know, he had an encounter with the power of God. People at Finney's meetings had an encounter with the power of God. And a lot of even Pente what call themselves Pentecostal churches, you haven't heard a tongue in that place in 15 years. Some of them have signs up on the outside, no speaking in tongues in the, in the main sanctuary. 
So people need to have an encounter with the Holy Ghost. Amen? And that'll up the percentage. Next. It's a... Hi, brother. A question about uh, spiritual gifts. Um, I think the, the Apostle Paul encourages us to seek um, all the gifts, and he says the best one would be prophecy, if I understand correctly. What would you suggest to those who desire to prophesy? Is there um... Good question. The Bible does say covet earnestly spiritual gifts. The Bible does put a premium on prophecy. He said, what would you say to someone who desires to prophesy? Same as any other gift you want to operate in. You'll never operate in a gift that you don't sit under. Anybody ever see my Uncle Ted preach? Teddy went home on, third, on, a, on Thanksgiving to go see his dad. His mom said he's upstairs. My Uncle Ted, at 60-some years old, was watching this 80-year-old evangelist named Freddie Clark that operates in the Word of Knowledge and Healing in a small tent meeting. And uh, Teddy said, Dad, what are you watching Freddie Clark for? My, my Uncle Ted said, you'll never operate in a gift you don't sit under. So even at 65, he's watching an older guy that operates in healing and the word of knowledge and sitting under it. So you get what you're around. Who you associate with determines what, a, who, you, what a, who accompanies you determines what accompanies you. So any gift that you want to operate in, get in meetings of people that operate in those gifts and attach yourself to their ministry. And you don't even have to actually travel. It's good to travel and be in the meetings. I'm glad people are here. But with YouTube and stuff, you know, you, you, look, Michael Ted, you can be in people's meetings regularly, and then you'll just notice by divine grace what operates with them will begin to operate in you because it's by close association. Amen? Does that help? Next. I wanted to know, and thank you so much for everything that you've been doing. You're welcome. When you go out to do, like, the open crusades, and yes. it's, like, a lot of unsaved people, what yes. are, like, the first things that you really hit on? Because similar to, like, how your dad does the music and then he preaches yes i'm gonna do like the rap and then That's also good. be able to like preach to them but how like what are the main things especially when there's a lot of unsaved people well number one when you do the rap it's like when my dad does his country music it, 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 in that i mean musically they're nothing alike but there's an us against you thing when you do outdoor preaching there's people checking you out as you know there's a lot of this so you need something to break down the us against you. So if you saw in that video I played, there's like, a, there's like a kid's dance contest. And then after a little while, people forget they're at a, what they're at. They're just like ha having fun. And then next thing you know, you're singing Amazing Grace. They're all singing. But Because if you just get up there cold, listen, tonight I'm going to be, a lot of you are living sinful lives. It's like, you know, it's like you're going to get a lot of middle fingers. You don't, you don't just launch in straight. You got you to let them know, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm, I'm here to help you. Now, remember this scripture. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. So you don't get up leading off with adultery. and up. The gospel's good news. So I'll tell you what. Go on YouTube or my app. I have all of my outdoor crusades on there. Watch them. Start positive. I mean, you finish positive too, but... Um, I know this might sound strange to you, but God sent me here to do this, to, to do this event because he loves you. And there's people here that are hurting right now, but Jesus is going to help you tonight. Like that. And then, and then it, it, lift, it lifts people. Then obviously you'll get into sin. I'll tell you, I watched Jesse Duplantis from two decades ago preaching at the Sturgis Biker Rally. It was the most masterful evangelistic sermon I ever heard. Because for 20 minutes he had all those bikers laughing hard. And then he started going into live-in girlfriends and 
Can't be doing that. And then they're nodding their head. At this point, it's like, I like this guy. Oh, I can't live with a girl? All right, you got it, man. So, so, so you connect with them, and, and then obviously the sin part will, will come into it. But then once, that, once they've received you, they'll receive that part. Next. Um, hi, Jonathan. Hey. From where? From Nigeria originally. You live in Quebec now? Yes, right. we do. Um, when you said this morning that Nigerians typically gravitate towards the anointing, um, it made me you know, come up with this question. We've been here four years, and it took until the fourth year before we found GNC. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that time, we were going to churches where probably say served milk compared to what we were used to in Nigeria. And even like a watered-down milk. Exactly. Yes. Um, so what would you say uh, for Christians who need a church like GNC or used to a certain way of um, hearing their messages um, and then attending churches like that? Because, I mean, the scripture said, don't forget the assembling of brethren, right? But you also want to be encouraged and get the meat and not necessarily milk. Give me nine bonus minutes. I, said, I know I said 131. If you get 140, I promise I'll let everybody go. Um, your question's excellent. It's also a question a lot of people are facing right now, especially post-COVID. So that's why I know God's going to raise up a lot of new, strong Holy Ghost churches across Canada. But as of right now, there may, what, how far you live from here? Yeah. There is, I mean, if I were you, I'd drive an hour. During the shutdown, the closest open church to me in Pittsburgh was Luke Brueger's church in Clarksburg, West Virginia, which was an hour and 40 minutes. So we just made a day of it. Go down and enjoy the scenery and all that. And um, I did it too because I know him and I knew what pressure he was getting from the state of West Virginia. He had the heads of two hospitals call him. We need you to shut down. You're putting our lives at risk. So if he's going to stay open, I'm going to go support my friend, especially with the places closed. But uh, if it's within an hour, I'd go an hour. Because everything's in a, you can't do anything in Montreal in less than an hour. And it does make for a longer day, but it's worth it to, to be in, a, in, in the anointing. And then for other people, there are times, number one, it would be good to build your life around where a good church is rather than build your life somewhere and then see if there's any good churches. Um, I'm not saying you did that. I'm just saying for all the people that have this question. Then, and we've had, I don't know, we might have over 100 people there tomorrow at church that have moved from other states. California, Michigan, all over the country have come to, to Revival Today Church because they had no church to go to. There might be a time when you move to a place that you have to bite the bullet for a little bit and just find the best one available, sit two-thirds of the way in the back, nod the head, and, and leave. But um, I like what you're doing, plugging in. You know, a, a good church makes a big difference. So if you have to bite the bullet for a little bit, but now that God's going to start raising up these new churches and um, the ones that stood like GNC, I, I would, this is not just advice to you, everybody, I would locate, it's like these guys in British Columbia, you had nowhere to go, right? And then God's working it out where Pastor Oscar's going to come and, and pastor there. You're going to see a lot of that in Canada because Jesus is the head of the church. He's not going to let you go wither away in one of the provinces. He's, he, he's going he's gonna to do a work there. All right, quick. Hope that helps. Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for all of this here and allowing me to share and um, be open to everybody. Um, so last night when we were doing the healing, 
and I've been going through financial struggles because I haven't been working since last January and I've wanted to rent a part of my home out and I just couldn't find anybody right for it and I just took the ad out of Facebook and last night at 11.15 I got a message well I got it earlier like at 9.30 but I read it at 11.15 and it said I have a very dear female soul that is interested in your basement if it's still available. She is young and an old soul and has healing hands that are magical. Let me know if you're still available. You would absolutely love her on so many levels. She is quiet and beautiful soul with very much to offer. I couldn't believe it. Now, then, I don't know who you're using as a realtor that's doing deals at midnight, oh, but great job. Yeah. Into the and, world of organized crime. And I can hey, tell you got to sign the lease. Meet me at the docks. Yeah. Go ahead. And I can tell you this, and I can honestly, I'm going to stand up to tell everybody this. When you healed me here, and you laid your hands on me, and I fell to the ground, I know for a fact there's a lymph node here that has cancer. Burned. It felt burned. That's awesome. And, and my spine has been bothering me. And even though the pain in the liver area has gone, I can walk from here to Toronto. Never mind flying. I can walk it right now. I feel so good. <laughs> That's awesome. Honestly, I feel fantastic. I want to get baptized in this ministry. I do. All right. I have been talking to Jesus since the age of four. I never was taught who Tell Jesus him I said was. Hi. Oh, yeah. Tell him I love him. I was talking to him from the age of four. That's the time my father passed away. And I was basically left alone with a grandparent while he died in Italy. And my mom and my sisters went there. And I've been talking to him ever since. But I'm going to say, two days here, I have learned more about Jesus than I have in my entire life. And... Forgive me if I say this in a negative kind of way, but I didn't learn any of this in the Roman Catholic Church. And I don't want to put them down. They're doing their thing. Million religions out there are doing their thing. I'm open to everything, but the energy that I feel in here, I feel reinvented, reborn. Almost like a new creature. Pardon? Almost like a new creature. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly feel that. And I did have one quick question, though. Go for it. Fasting. I'm yeah. so interested in this fasting thing, especially for cancer, because I hear that it does a lot of good for helping to kill cancer cells. And I'm very, I got to be careful with my diet and what I eat. And I used to have a lot of willpower, but in the last two years between COVID, my mom dying from the same disease, friends dying from cancer, my dog passing away, I was very depressed. And I knew cancer was coming back. What was the back. dog's name? Cola. I'll honor Cola's With a K, memory. with a K. And legacy. Yeah. Cola Mumu. That's her little nickname. I like but that. Yeah, it's better was... than Christopher. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, that was a really difficult time, I know, for everybody in, in our world. And after being here, I just feel so alive. We do a 21-day fast in January as a ministry and we do we go online every day and, and you'll be doing it with a big group of people and I'll help you and I'll give instruction if you go on my YouTube channel Jonathan Shuttlesworth I have a bunch of teaching on fasting so 
If you're feeling, if the Lord's leading you in that direction, then listen, listen to it out of the Bible. And, uh, and you're right, intermittent fasting is great, especially with the cancer cells. What are you supposed to do where you start having the T cell regenerate? 18-4? Let's see, not, not many. I forgot I'm in an Italian church. Fasting? <laughs> we eat on our way to the meal. I love you. All right, next, real quick. Quick, quick, quick. Again, thanks. You've been great. Um, sorry, I, I'm really not meaning to be judgmental if this is how it comes up. No, I'm just judge new. away. I need I'm, judge. No, no, but I'm just new, so I don't know. But I heard if a couple is married, one dies, the second that is alive, could remarry. Yeah. What happened if one is divorced? I'm told that if you remarry, no, if you're divorced and you're remarried, the person who remarries, let's say he cheated on you and you remarry, right. then you are committing adultery, true or false? Mm, true or false? Mm. Jesus gave out, one of which is abandonment. If you've been abandoned by your spouse, you're free to remarry. And abandonment can take several forms. One of the guy takes off on you, leaves you with the kids. Abuse is abandonment because you're making it where you can't be in the house and the kid can't be there anymore. So if you're getting punched in the face, whatever. Uh, no, no, no. That's not, I'm telling you what Jesus said. So there are outs. You can't, now to go the other way, you can't just willy-nilly get divorced and remarry because the Bible does talk about that you're committing adultery. And so you don't want to do that. So like you said, you can wait till your spouse dies. You can pay someone to make your spouse. No, just, you know, just throwing some options out there. But yeah, if you if you were if abandoned, uh, what am I leaving out, Jess? Abandoned, abuse, or or adultery, abandonment, abuse, or adultery. Those are your three A's that gave you the way out. Otherwise, you know. You push them in front of a train? No. No, j j just wait. The, the Lord will hook it up. All right, I see you smiling, so I feel like I've answered good enough. Last one. I'll do two. Rapid fire. Let her, let her go first. Lady first. Um, I don't know how I got here on Monday, uh, but I know God sent me here. From where? I'm from Montreal, yeah. and since March, I've been lost. I've been really lost, and uh, God brought me here. This week has, has changed my life. How so? I feel I'm new again. I feel loved. I don't feel lonely anymore. Uh, I, I feel important. You are important. And Come here real quick. Welcome to the family. Stay plugged in here. This is a good church. You'll like them better than me. They have like organized speaking. They're just freewheeling. I've been looking for a church. And now that I know they teach theology here, I'm definitely coming because the Lord had asked me to do this. No, let me tell you one thing about the pastor here, Steve. He, I'm not saying this joking around. You would consider him, he's a theologian. And I mean that in a good way. He, you're not going to hear one word of wrong doctrine at this place. That's a fact. Love you very much. Go ahead. 
yeah, this is a question about like the prophetic uh, gift for word of knowledge. And I, I know you've been operating in that gift like for years. Uh, I just wanted to ask like, what do you experience? Like what happens like, me, when it comes to- For me, to there's different people. Some people hear a voice and, and different things. For me, it's like the same way I know I'm Jonathan Shuttlesworth or I know what my address is. I'll just, I'll come close, like, like that guy prayed for at Sturgis. I went to just pray for him and I knew he had three things wrong with him. Just like I know you're from British Columbia because someone told me. So like if it's a random person, like let's say I didn't know you and I come up to him and go, that guy's from British Columbia. I, I used to think, well, why would I think that? But then I started thinking, yeah, why would I think that? I don't just go around assuming where people are from. So if I go up to someone and I start knowing, and that's what it is, word of knowledge. You didn't know it. Then I'll just, I'll go up and say, hey, before I pray for you, you have this wrong, this wrong, and before you know it, they're crying. Because the Lord knows. So for me, it's, it's a knowing. Like, and it's just like I've always known it. It feels like I know, like I know I'm Jonathan. I know you have COPD. I just know you do. So for me, that's how it goes. Good? One more. There's one over here. Oh, we'll get a few. Let's go moly. We got hungry people in Canada. Spiritually hungry people. No, go there go. She got me all the way from British Columbia. Okay. Go ahead, right. Miss Humility. Um, <laughs> I appreciate um, you being here. We've been really blessed. I mean, on YouTube, we've been watching all week. And obviously, being here, um, we look forward to seeing you in Vancouver. Same. Um, by faith, I'm speaking. Anyway, so I, I actually got saved, you know, when she was asking about fasting and you told her to watch on YouTube. That's actually how I got saved two, uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and I'm, so I'm originally watching from... Watching the prayer and fasting? Yes. The one that you did at, um, I forgot, Christian something center. It was in 20, 2020. I can't uh, yeah, me either. Um, Anyways, my, my, so I'm originally from Iraq, and there is a big community of us um, in BC. So my question is, you know, considering that I've been saved for two and a half years, obviously I know that uh, I'm a new person, I'm a new creature. How do you um, reach or minister to somebody that still sees you, especially from that community that still sees you, you know, sees your old self or your old... Well, th that's why, you know, when the Bible says a prophet's without honor in his, in his hometown and among his own people... Even Jesus had to deal with that. He didn't do one thing wrong. He did everything right. Oh, you're just a, the son of Mary and Joseph. Who do you think you are? So a lot of times the people the Lord will use you to reach are, are outsiders, and God will use someone else to bring them in. So you have a burden for your own people. But that's like Paul. Paul had a massive burden for the Jewish people and, and talked about how he longed for them to be saved, and I'd be forever cursed, but he was called to the Gentiles. And anytime he tried to reach the Jews, he had, it didn't work out so well. And then with the Gentiles, he had explosive results. So even though we have people that are close to us in the natural that we'd like to see saved, you have to go on the path of who the Lord sends you to. It's like that stadium crusade I did in Pittsburgh. I don't have black family. I don't have any connections to black people in the inner city in the natural, but that's who the Lord sent me to. And my love for them, that's who, that's, so you, you go after who the Lord sends you to. Just like Reinhard Bonnke, he's German. What does he care about Nigerians? But the Lord will send you to people that in the natural, you have no reason why, why you'd want to reach them. And then God will send somebody else that they'll receive to reach them. Now, he may use you too. Peter reached the Jews. He was Jewish. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, do that. Thank you. All right. No, I like this guy in the tracksuit. Go ahead. Looks like Tony Soprano's driver. <laughs> Can you talk about the line of uh, Lion of Judah? 
the line of Judah? All right. The Bible calls Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah because he came from the tribe of Judah. And he's a lion. And I'm not, I'm not saying, that, that's it. so you picture Christ that way, not? The lion, eyes like flames of fire. When he speaks, a two-edged sword comes out of his mouth. He'll destroy the Antichrist by the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming. He has lion-like attributes. Good? That was a decent sermon, impromptu. Go ahead. So I want to witness to my um, colleagues, and it's not very easy. In Nigeria, where we come from, every second or third person is... Christian, so you don't necessarily need to witness. They go to church. What part of Nigeria were both of you from? Lagos. Both Lagos? Yes. Oh, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. It's like 10 New Yorks. Go ahead. So um, I'm trying to invite them to church. I pick up flyers sometimes. I give it to them. It's hard. I'm praying. But I'm just wondering, especially in the North American corporate environment with so many policies about, you know, inclusivity and everything, yeah. how, how do you share or witness to your colleagues without it seeming weird? How do I get results, really? That's what I want, results, you know? I would say in Canada especially, it's going to be a fasting and prayer type of thing. Where I would... There is something that needs to get broken in this country. There is like a... Like a spiritual hardness that needs smack. And you can smack it. So I feel like the way you would see results is like on the 21 days of prayer and fasting, I would write down seven of my coworkers or however many you wanted to write down, and I'd target my fasting where fathers soften their hearts, and then I feel like it would be the kind of thing like on day 17 or, you know, someone will come to you like, I don't know why I'm telling you this, you know, crying, but I don't, you know, you know what I mean? Where the Lord, and it would take that. Because otherwise it's just going to be one brick wall after another. Hey, Jesus loves you. Yeah, that, that's great. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you're, like you're a Martian. So, so I would commit it to fasting and prayer, and that's what it's going to take to break the thing down. Let's put our faith together that when we do the 21 days of prayer and fasting to start this year, that it's going to bring a national breakthrough Amen. in Canada. <laughs> Whatever, we should make it a prayer point that anything that's been planted in this country that's not been planted by God, that God up, uproots it. And just watch what happens by February. Next one. Um, I have a couple person around me who said they gave their lives uh, to Jesus, but uh, with uh, the COVID and the, the, the hard time they had, uh, one commit suicide and another one uh, was suffering too much in his body and asked the, the help to die. Right. And uh, that, that troubled me. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, I, I asked God if, if there was a really Christian, uh, they were, were born, uh, really uh, born right. again. Yes. So, and the, the passage who uh, uh, come up in my life, uh, in, my, in my thought, it was uh, uh, Judah. Judah commit suicide. And Judas. Judas? Judas, yeah. Judas commit suicide and was walking with Christ all the time. And uh, what do you think about this? 
I think they could both be in heaven. I don't think Judas is in heaven. I can put it this way. I definitely want to be Judas on Judgment Day. But your friends, you want me to tell you something Kenneth Hagin used to say? Answer me this question. If I'm a Christian and I got sick in my stomach and I ended up dying, would I go to heaven or hell? So why would you think you'd go to hell because somebody got sick in their head? Does that help? Now, I'm not saying that to go willy-nilly flinging yourself off buildings and stuff when you had a bad day because you can go to heaven. But if someone gets oppressed in their body by sickness and disease and succumbs to it, they don't go to hell. The devil attacked their body. And just because somebody succumbed to the devil attacking their mind, which was the wicked thing about the COVID response and churches shutting down. If you shut down churches, people will kill themselves. Because there's many people, the only time they get to be around anybody is on Sunday. The only time they get to be around anybody that doesn't punch them is on Sunday. And I can see them when I, as a pastor. They're the last ones to leave. They'd stay there, they'd stay there till 7 p.m. from the morning service. They're talking to everybody. They don't want to go home. So I think you'll see your friends again. Amen. Go ahead. So your uncle, when he, he functions in the office of the prophet, but then he also evangelizes, is it that you can be occupying both offices or is it just a gift type of situation? You can operate in more than one office at, at once, the, or, or at least in the course of your life. The Bible says that Paul was among the company of prophets and teachers in Acts 13. Then later we see Paul's an apostle. So apostle is something you graduate to, in my opinion. I don't think there's too many 21-year-old apostles. But Lester Summerall for sure started off as an evangelist and graduated to apostle. So you, you can be more than one. Uh, back here. I love you guys. Oh, yeah, you don't have to feel bad. It's almost friggin' 2 o'clock. Go ahead. Firstly, we just want to thank you. Our lives will not be the same again. There's this boldness and this courage and this joy within us. And, you know, you said that um, when we get so much closer, you know, we, just, we didn't even go just one level. We feel we've gone up many levels. And you just, have. And just before we, we were coming here, we were serving this morning to help, but uh, the traffic was blocked, and then all of a sudden a bus hit the side of our car. And Iggy and I were talking, and we said, we going. So we exchanged <laughs> stuff. And we drove all the way here. Where are you and from originally? South Africa. <laughs> That's why South Africans, you can't stop them. They're unstoppable. And unstoppable. I, and I remembered what you said. You know, you said. We just like, got hit by a bus. Keep driving. <laughs> and, you know, the devil will come and do whatever he can. But we feel unstoppable. And, you know, we're going to give it all. That wasn't my question, but I had to share. My question is more about... When you have kids, you know, the Bible says, grow them up in the ways of the Lord. Yes. What do you do practically to make them really hungry for God and get, get it right from the outside? I'll give you two things. I get very nervous. And that's the last question, right? Who? No, you got in one. Even he shouldn't have got to ask again. Who, you? Okay, so he'll be two. That's the last two. You and him. Boy, is it, this is my, wait, who else? Three. That's, that'll be the last thing. Okay. I get nervous when I'm at church and I see a pastor's kid sitting five rows back during praise and worship while everybody's standing up. I 
And I don't mean that they're on their phone. I'm not talking about sending out one text message and then back up on their feet singing. I'm talking about completely disconnected from church, even though they're in church. And a lot of people feel bad that their kids have to be in church all the time. So they're like, oh, my, you know, my son's been in church all week, so... I'm not talking about Simeon at three years old. I'm talking about, you know, the 14. He's been in church all week, so we, t- we told him he could stay home. He doesn't have to come to the revival meetings. He's in church all the time. He's a pastor's kid. That's why there's so many backslidden, reprobate preacher's kids. Because they were raised in church, but never connected. And there's also, which I don't need to throw in side points. There's some people you notice when you pastor, they always want to be doing something so they don't have to be in the actual service participating. Run sound, security, whatever. Which you need people to do those things. But I told at my church, make sure people are on a rotation. People need to have their butts seated, receiving. So make sure your kids aren't just in church. Make sure they're receiving. And there is part of being a parent. Well, you know, they have to want it themselves. No. You don't. I don't tell Camila, like, if you, if you feel like brushing your teeth, it'd be good. But I really want you to want to do it. Brush your teeth. And then when it's time to stand up and worship God, in this house, we stand on our feet and worship God. Obviously, the earlier you start, the better. And obviously, there's a lot of people that come into the faith and their kid's already 11 or whatever. But you have to learn how to command your household like Abraham did to keep the way of the Lord. Not, a, you know, not hey, up on your feet, put your phone away. I've told Camila, she's coming to church with a big sack of toys. I said, where do you think we're going? Put the toys back. You can take one. I want you listening. She used to be on her iPad when she was like two because I preached a long time and she was two in the front row. But then it hit a point where she was six and still on her iPad. And, uh, you know, before I was just trying to keep you from not crying or screaming. But now you're six. Put the iPad away. And there came a day where we had to do that. And listen, don't bring toys. Sit and listen. You see Camille on the front row and last week, hey, Pa, let me read some of the verses from your notes when you start preaching. And I, and I let her. I let her read the, the one scripture. Make sure your kids are not only in church. Keep an eye on them. Are they connected or disconnected? I won't, I won't say who, and I've met a lot of people, even this year. But someone was at my church visiting that's a minister, and their kids sat in, like, row three. They're, like, 14, and they had the deadest eyes. Now, I'm going to get a call from them. When that kid's 17 or 18, you know, my, my daughter's not serving the Lord. I don't know what happened. I do. She didn't, it, it manifested with a live-in boyfriend at 18, but it started there. Keep an eye when they're not connected or don't want to go to, I don't want to go to, some, you know, watch their spiritual life. A. B. Um, the reason Camila's turned out how she is is 100% God and Adalis and 0% me. I'm there for some comedic relief and I crack a few jokes every day. I've come down the steps before, and Adalis had a notebook out and a Bible, like a fully developed message teaching uh, Camila. And you know what, Camila? You know what he did then? What? He went and cut his head off. You know why? Because he had faith. That's right. And you have faith. And so what, what God did through David, God will do through you. I mean, you'd have thought she had a congregation full of people. She had a fully prepared message drilling it into Camila. And they said, man, I don't know if I can do that. Same here. I've never done that one time. And I love that kid. But don't emulate me. Emulate my wife and take your kids as a very important ministry and raise them up in in, in the things of God and take time with them and pray with them. When you feel like lecturing them, pray with them. Someone feeling the warmth and love from your prayer will open them up to what a lecture. I can't believe you'd do that. We've raised you. You know what I mean? Prayer and putting an arm around and all that stuff helps a lot. 
Does that help? All right, next, quick. Go ahead. Hi, Jonathan, and on behalf of everyone, I just wanted to say you have done an amazing job. Thank you so much for being here. Let's give him a hand, everybody, please. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so as you know, I like to do head counts, and I would like to say that the numbers have shot up big time. So again, thank you for that. So my question was about fasting. So most people that know me know that I'm a very practical guy, and I like to stay immersed in the Word and reading scriptures. I was wondering if you have any advice on how to stay focused into the scriptures. For instance, in my case, I will completely avoid watching the Food Channel. Do you have any advice on how to stay focused in the Word during the time of fasting? I would say, um, you know, a lot of that's individual. Some people love to read paper books. I can't, but I can listen. Like, I'm going if, to, if I put the Bible on, on recorded audio or a book on audio, on a long drive or when I'm driving, that's how, that's how I like to do it with the Word. That's what I do with YouTube. So do that. I think it's easy if you, I like listening to preaching on fasting while I'm on a fast. Like if I'm listening to David Oyedepo talk about fasting and mocking like American Christians that can't fast, it makes me really want to not eat because I'd feel like a loser <laughs> because I, I just hear his drive for it. So, and that's the thing I think is great about a corporate fast is you know everybody's in on it and you're kind of like, like, we're all doing this. It's not, it's not me. If I break, you know, other people aren't. And I'm going to stay on it. So as far as then, what do you have on a fast? You can have things during the day. Like we, in our ministry, we started doing 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I don't know what you guys do here. But I would, um, you can have coffee on a fast. I know Jensen Franklin wrote in his book that you can't have caffeine or whatever. You can. Coffee's five calories. No one's going to have a cup of coffee and go, oh, I'll never do that again. I'm so full. But it will at least give you a, a, the will to live. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because if you're, if you're not taking it, you know, if you're not fasting, it's one thing if you're going out in a cabin somewhere for 21 days. You don't have to work. You're a preacher. You bring water. And you're staying out there and praying. You have no responsibilities. When you have to go to work, you need to have a little something. Coffee. Milk isn't going to... You can have coffee with milk. Now, ha Canadian half and half, that might count as eating. But you, you can have milk and coffee. Because the coffee starts to get too strong for your, your bare stomach after a few days with nothing on it. The milk softens it a little. That's not, that's not breaking a fast 100 calories when you need 2,200 or 2,500. That's nothing. But it'll give you enough to get through the day. Toma uh, uh, tomato soup broth. You know, something warm, chicken noodle soup, broth. You can, you can put that through the day. That's not eating. And then six to six and, 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 and break it. But uh, do those as you need it rather than just feel miserable. If you need to, you know, you're, I can't even focus on the word. I'm so famished. You're one glass of orange juice away from not feeling that way. So drink it. You know, get a little sugar, 160 calories, and ah. And then, you, and then you can do your stuff. So don't, don't be so rigid with it. Then the more you fast, the better you get at it. And, and the more used to it you get. So don't be so strict on yourself that you can't do it. And I'm not talking about... There was a guy in Bible college that would say he's doing the Daniel fast. And he would carry around... Because it, it, it fits for the Daniel fast. He would carry around a jug of iced tea and a bag of Tostitos chips. Just eat. But, but those things, those liquids, 
coffee, orange juice, whole and whole things. Of course, Canada, they have mostly good, good food here, where, but in America, you really have to, to watch. But like pure pressed juices, you can actually, when you do it right, I have more energy on a fast than I have when I'm not on a fast because there's no crash after you eat. Like after I finish with you guys, I'm gonna go eat and then I'm gonna just wake up on the floor somewhere. When I finish a meal, I got like T minus three. Does that help? Good? Good. Hi, um, thank you again. You're welcome. Like everybody, thank you for this week. Um, my question um, really um, has to do with, well, I am a college student studying social work and um, a lot of the stuff we're looking at is about like human rights and stuff and you know with the new agendas that they're pushing onto uh, society. I'm having trouble seeing how I'm gonna be able to help the people I wanna help with all these agendas being pushed onto us. And it's, um, so I was wanting to ask like how do we help people in need when we don't subscribe to some of the stuff like the LGBTQ and the and all those those agendas that are pushing us to help to help other people, like how do we do that? Looking you in the eyes, I'm going to tell you the two things I felt. At first, I was going to tell you you can't, but then the more I looked at you, I feel like you might be a bulldog that God put in that thing to mess everything up. You seem like a, a, a fighter and a t tough lady. So I don't know the answer to your question. Just be led by the Holy Spirit and um, don't have any fear of people or losing your job. And do what you feel to do. And the worst thing they can do is fire you. If you get fired, big deal. Tons of people have been fired. You can actually go get another job that, that's work, that pays you more money than social work with way less stress. But I feel like if you have a heart for that, then maybe the Lord's putting you in there. Like we have, a, we have somebody that goes to our church that does counseling, and she does a bunch of stuff she's not allowed to do. She's not allowed to take people to church with her and stuff. She took um, a transgendered person to church that was said they were struggling and suicidal, and they came and got saved and opted out of the treatments and all that. So God has, uh, God has Miriams that secretly birthed the babies and all that in different industries. So I was gonna tell you, you can't, you should go do something else that'll pay you more and you don't have to put up with that. But I, looking at you, I kind of feel like the Lord has you there as like his brass knuckles in the industry. Amen. Last one. All right, this is, uh, you waited long enough. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you, uh, Evangelist Jonathan, for everything you're doing. And thank you for CTN. You kept us sane in the lockdown. <laughs> How did you find me the first time? Uh, from the prayer palace. Okay, and then yes. you watched Check the News. Yes, and then I watched What did you like about Check the News? You seem like way too classy <laughs> a lady to enjoy um, awful programming like that. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm actually a nurse. So uh, when the whole vaccines thing... You could tell something was up? Yes. I never believed it. So I was working in an environment where everyone was just so full of fear, mm -hmm. but I was just fearless. I'm like, well, it's another virus. We'll get through it. And I just didn't subscribe to the whole vaccine thing. And um, I just loved your sense of humor and your sarcasm and the whole thing. What nation are you from originally? <laughs> Zimbabwe. The why do people from Zimbabwe enjoy, like, insult humor? Because I've gone over there, and they do. Like, uh, I'm ripping up. They're all just laughing. They're like New Yorkers. We're like that, too. Yeah, okay, I go guess. ahead. 
Um, so my question is actually on dreams. Um, so for, um, I would say years, I've had like series of dreams in which sometimes I am casting out demons in people, sometimes I am preaching to a multitude, and sometimes I am laying hands on people. And then, uh, but then when I get up from that dream, I feel this urgency, but then I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what to do. Is this like a message that the Lord is telling me? Or is just my brains rehearsing uh, the sermons I've been listening to? So my question is, is there a spiritual significance in this kind of dream? There very well could be, but the way I've always looked at it, like if I have a dream like that, I'll say to the Lord, like, I'm not totally clear on this. It's up to you to, like, make it clear. It's like, you know, confusion's not of God, so it's not like I'm like, I don't understand. I was like, well, you know, Joseph didn't fully see everything he dreamed. He didn't fully know what it meant that the stocks were gonna bow down and all, or where, how. So you just hold on to it, and then when it hits, that, oh, that's what the Lord was preparing me for. I, I got it now. But I want to I let it be like a troubling thing because God wants you to, to know. And, and when the time comes, if it's something from God, it's, obviously it's not from the devil, but if it's more than just you dreaming something because of what you've been taking in on YouTube during the day, then you'll know when the time comes like Joseph did. Does that help? Yeah. Nice to meet you, by the way. I heard prayer palace mostly stayed open. Oh, you're in Kingston. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was wondering how Pastor Paul's doing during this day. What, what is he, 90 now, maybe? 87. Yeah, that's quite a thing to go through. That guy's a tough guy. Because, I mean, you'd think when that hit, if you were 85, just like, I retire. And he, he fought. Fighters are fighters. Never leaves them. Let me tell you one last thing. When you asked about when to send your coworkers and you're Nigerian, I'm going to tell you a Nigerian-like thing that happened to me is to give you faith for what will happen for you at work. This guy that got saved and comes to my church, I went to get my hair cut by him. He's a white barber from Philadelphia. White, like, like Catholic. You know, he's, he's not Nigerian or, or Ghanaian or Indian. And when I sat in his chair, he starts crying and real softly goes, you're not going to believe this. Don't think I'm crazy. Last night... I, dream, I had a dream that you came to me and told me about Jesus, and I received Jesus. So I'm saying that because when he was saying it, I was like, this, this is like a Nigerian testimony. You know what I mean? And then, uh, so I led him to the Lord in the barbershop, and he started coming, and he's been a great member of the church. But that stuff that's like par for the course in West Africa, God will do the same thing here in Canada. Because I'm telling you, as me, who has faith and believes that stuff and listens to Bishop Oedipo and Pastor Adeboy every week, when he was telling me, I was like, Seriously? Because I just woke up and went to get my haircut. My whole goal for the day was to get a haircut. I wasn't trying to witness to anybody or anything. And, uh, and the Lord did that. So God will use you this, the same way. Amen? Stand on your feet. All right, go ahead. Stand on your feet, everybody. Man, what a great bunch of people. Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, or if you're listening to my wife's. Thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.